Hi there, everyone. Before we begin the show, we sadly must give in memoriam to two incredible, important people involved in the anime industry that have passed away recently. Masami Suda, animator and character designer on numerous anime, including Fist of the North Star, Slam Dunk, and Speed Racer, passed away at the age of 77. He was a vital member of the anime industry since the 60s, working on formative works for Tatsunoka Productions and multiple Toei animation series. Chances are you've seen numerous of his works that were enhanced thanks to his talents. We discussed both Speed Racer and Fist of North Star recently, and his work as an animation director and character designer for the anime adaptations of those series really breathed life into them. His credits are innumerable, and I wish to thank him for all the hard work he did in making some of my favorite shows and movies as good-looking and incredible as they are. Sadly, we also lost another long-time and instrumental figure in the industry last month, Fred Ladd, whose accomplishments and contributions to bringing anime over to North America are monumental and innumerable. Ladd introduced anime to North America, bringing over trailblazing classics like Astro Boy, Gigantor, Kimba the White Lion in the 1960s, series that would capture the imaginations of early fans and pave the way to more anime being brought over in the decades to come. His influence and involvement in the industry spans decades and generations, from colorizing old black and white Looney Tunes in the 80s and serving as a creative consultant to the DIC Entertainment of a Sailor Moon in the 90s, among so many other things he was involved in. It really can't be understated how important and integral Fred's efforts to localize anime were to building up the international industry, community, and culture that's formed around it today, to which I think all of us should be humbly grateful for. Both Suda and Lad were incredible, once-in-a-generation talents and people, and they will be truly more than missed. We offer our deepest, sincerest condolences to our loved ones and families and would like to take a moment of silence to honor them and their memory. Manga Mavericks goes to Washington. We headed down to our nation's capital to congregate with our fellow weaves at the one and only Otaku Convention, Otakon. Making Otakon our first convention to attend since we began a wise decision? Was it any convention at all while we're still in a global pandemic? A good idea to begin with. Probably not, but we went as press 
And now we're obligated to talk about it in one of our signature, overly long and needlessly ridiculous convention podcast that comes out a month after the convention is over, baby! But before we dig into our Otakon discussion proper, I have some news and community shoutouts I like to share up front. In Otakon-specific news, it was reported that this year's event yielded an attendance of 25,453 unique visitors. For reference... 2019's event drew in 28,430 unique visitors, so Otakon saw a little over 10% drop in attendance this year, which after a year absence, the most in a global pandemic, not too shabby for them. Otakon had to put on a show this year because, you know, they literally couldn't afford not to, since they couldn't cancel their contract with the convention center without losing so much money, they basically go bankrupt and probably never be able to put on a show again, so it's good, fans! did come out and said strong support of the con, and hopefully they made just enough to stay out of the red, and hopefully more than just enough, but hey, Otakon has been scheduled to return in 2022, from July 29th to July 31st, and hopefully this perilous pandemic will have subsided by then, fingers crossed, and the con will see attendance levels return to what they were in 2019, or even greater, who knows, but I'll also be curious to see what Anime Expo's attendance is going to be like next year, as they have announced they plan to return to being a physical event from July 1st to 4th next year, and AX has been putting on these virtual events these past two years, and now it looks like, you know, they're hedging their bets on doing a live show in 2022, and here's hoping it will indeed be safe to attend a con in LA next year, and if it is, I definitely won't mind taking a return trip to AX myself to celebrate its return. But turning our attention to cons happening this year, Anime NYC is still planned to go on this November, and in light of the recent resurgence of the Delta variant, they will be requiring proof of COVID-19 vaccinations and masks for all participants, from fans to exhibitors to guests to staff and all and everyone else in between. What's more, the entire event staff has been confirmed to have been vaccinated. So if you're planning to attend Anime NYC, make sure to bring your vaccination card or download the Excelsior Pass to provide your proof of vaccination at the door. I think this is a very smart and safe move for Anime NYC to do, and as an attendee of the con, it certainly makes me feel more comfortable going, and I definitely very much appreciate it. And I salute the leadership of Anime NYC for making the decision, which now includes among their ranked Lank Highskill as their new manager of guests and programming for Anime NYC and Anime Frontier. Lance was the overseer of marketing strategy for Funimation for over 13 years, serving innumerable key roles at that company that helped promote the Funimation brand and their titles, and I'm confident his experience and expertise will help Anime NYC and Anime Frontier grow as well. And that catches us up for news, so let's turn our attention to some community shoutouts. I usually say these for after our discussions, but since we already recorded the outro as part of our Otakon discussion, I felt it was better to just do them here rather than interrupt the flow of the conversation. So my first couple of shoutouts, though, are none other than Otakon reports from other podcasts and websites. So starting off with other podcasts, Anime World Order and the Reverse Teams podcast both did great shows covering the context behind why Con was still put on this year, covering some of the events and experiences we didn't get to attend, and provided a great alternative perspective on the con from more seasoned Otakon goers. 
And similarly, A&N Anime Herald wrote great overview con reports detailing how the con went this year, and Anime Herald in particular published several great pieces on Otakon, including some individual panel reports on Discotex panel and the 1991 and Anime panel, which are really great detailed deep dives into what they were like. It'll give you a good descriptive understanding of them. And Anime Herald also has several interviews and other articles about Otakon that are going to be published soon, so keep a lookout for them as they go up. And as far as other Otakon reports go, KBNet detailed their experience just attending the Otakon on Sunday and went into a lot of detail about their thoughts and the panels they attended, including the Yoshikazu Yasukiko panel and the companies that knew nothing about Anime Fan Wants panel, which you'll hear us also discuss on this podcast, but they did a good overview of those Sunday panels and their observations of what the con was like on Sunday. And if you're more interested in interviews, NIFMS has you covered because they did great interviews with actresses Susie Young, who's best known for playing Yuffie in Final Fantasy VII Remake, Shalon and Apari Ronman, and Koito in One Direct Priority, and Anyaka, who is best, best known for playing Nobra and Jujutsu Kaisen. And both of these interviews are really full of thoughtful questions and responses about the actresses' roles and careers, such upon why they love certain roles and different types of roles, representation they appreciate seeing more of an anime, and I particularly appreciate Anne's interview because she gave some really, really thoughtful responses about wanting more and seeing more diversity in anime dubbing, particularly for Asian Americans, and why she really responded to and resonated with playing Nobara and Jujutsu Kaisen, which as a fan of the character in the series, I really, really enjoyed reading her thoughts on that, and they're really great interviews. They made me wish I conducted some interviews that I got myself, but alas... I'll just make sure not to pass up the opportunity next time. And finally, my last Otakon-specific shout-out to recommend is Sloan Otaka's wonderfully edited con cosplay music video showing off some of the coolest cosplayers at the con that do a fun electronic remix of Attack on Titan's fourth season's opening, which makes for a quite enjoyable showcase of the creativity the cosplay community really brought to the Otakon scene this year. I thought it was a cool video and a cool showcase of that. But for folks who maybe want a chance to experience some of the panels conducted at Otakon that we describe on this podcast, or at least some of the events run by the same people, I'd like to recommend a few anime lockdown panels that are still available to watch up on their YouTube. Both the Soccer Wars Retrospective Panel by Sam Ferreira and George Robots Companies that Do Nothing of Anime Fans 1 panels that were conducted at Otakon were also done for Anime Lockdown, so you can definitely check those out if our description of them interested you. And on the subject of that, Companies That Do Nothing of Anime Fans 1 panel, if you want to know why the story of Crimson Star Media makes George react so hysterically well, check out ANNCast's old interview with Neil Nadelman, who was hired to translate their project and dishes out a lot of deets, a lot of dirt about what went so horribly wrong about their ill-fated and narcissistic attempts breaking into anime licensing and dubbing. Now, returning to other folks at the con who didn't do the same panels before for Anime Lockdown, but you can still check out some of their panels from Anime Lockdown. Evan Minto conducted an Oski Primal panel at Anime Lockdown, and so if you wanted to check out one of his panels, if you like hearing our description of his Anime Eyecatchers panel on the show, and want to learn more about Oski and what he works on, 
Definitely check that out. And Megan Shoujo Manga's Lost Generation panel for Anime Lockdown was a great exploration of underrated, informative shoujo manga that really define the genre and it's a great compliment or supplement to the intro to Josie panel we discussed in the show or the other shoujo panels that were also conducted at Otakon as well as a good example of Megan's panels if you like our description of her Yoshikazu Yasuhiko panel and if you're interested in the anime rest stop panels we discussed on the show well definitely check out their podcast and they discuss a great variety of classic anime and a lot of interesting topics. And in particular, check out their episode on Project Echo, one of the early episodes with a great overview of that film. It's a great compliment to our discussion on the film on this podcast as well. And check out their interview with Ed Chavez if you're interested in hearing more of his thoughts on the state of Dempa and the manga industry. And just more of Ed Chavez's musings on manga in general. Wrapping up the con-related shoutouts is Kara Dennison's article on Ataku USA making a good case for why streaming con panels and experiences is a model that needs to stay for the benefit of both con-goers and event planners, which I agree with as streaming panels is a great thing for archival utility and more widespread accessibility for folks who can't attend cons for financial, logistical, or other reasons. And lastly, I want to shout out Mike Tool's retrospective tribute to Fred Ladd, who has mentioned on the top of the show, passed away recently after leaving behind a storied legacy of integral accomplishments in the anime industry, which Mike chronicles very well informatively. And if you want to learn more about Fred Ladd and the legacy he left behind, definitely give this a read because he was involved in a lot more projects than you may realize and it's truly worth appreciating. And lastly, if you want even more detailed descriptions and outlines of the panels we discussed on this podcast, I made several threads about the panels I attended on Twitter and I linked them in this podcast post on allcomment.com, hyperlink the time scan. So Definitely check those treads out for my live reactions and recaps of those panels as a compliment to our discussion of them on this podcast. And speaking of which, with all that house cleaning out of the way, I think it's finally time for us to capitalize on our experience in the nation's capital and our experience in the sea and nerd out in our Otakon 2021 Convention Report Podcast. Can you believe it? Well, you Oda. Every year, people suffer because Sobote is unlicensed. If you donate $1 today, you can get Sobote licensed. That certainly did not happen at Otakon 2021, sadly. Denpa Entertainment did not surprise us with a Sobote license announcement. They did have some Shoggy-related announcements, so there is something Sakaki... <laughs> can write about in his Connor report <laughs> for WS Tuss Talk Bag and Blog, but otherwise, we are here to talk about the full Otakon 2021 convention experience on Manga Mavericks. You know, I wasn't expecting to go straight into an intro with that. I was just testing the mic. <laughs> okay, well... You know well, what? We're here, so let's do Daylights this. are wasting. <laughs> I mean, there isn't any daylight anymore, and we got a flight to catch in the morning, so we better get our calm report done before we have to leave. I guess, yeah, we have to leave at like 10 a.m. because Sakaki has work. Well, I mean, someone's got to support the future Sobote. 
license, and I need my job to do that. So I thought we were going to pay with our student loans. (laughs) (laughs) I think George Horvath would faint if he had heard you say that. We'll find a way. (laughs) No, you do need to, you know, put your nose to the grind to save up money to eventually find your own manga publisher one of these days, and then you'll get Sober Day license. There you go. But that's a story for another day. But yes, George's panel hopefully instructed you on what not to do <laughs> if you want to be a licensing company. Don't American market. Don't pay for anime with your student loans and then go to the con that you're banned from. <laughs> also, make sure you know what anime means. Anything. Oh my god. <laughs> but we are talking about the last thing. We really should probably start from the beginning, shouldn't we? No, we should start right at the very beginning. This was We Lord and Mine's first Otacon. Yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, Sakaki, you have done Otacon a few times at this point. Yeah, I, my first one was, I want to say 2010. I went 2010, did miss 2011, went 2012, and then it moved from, it originally was in Baltimore. And it moved from Baltimore to DC, I don't remember what year. And I stopped going because I hate DC. And I made that very clear yes. during this entire weekend to the point that every I, drive I, there, you know, drive through DC, you would it was not ad nauseum. Yeah, one, like so. even even the airport that we flew into. Part of the reasoning behind it was because Sakaki hates DC, <laughs> so we couldn't choose an airport that was in DC. I mean, technically, there isn't an airport in DC. There's like, like one. Well, okay, so Reagan is. Sort of DC, but it's actually in Virginia. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Dulles is in Virginia. So there actually isn't an airport in DC. There are just two that sound like they are, but they're not. So, BW, the whole thing we're having you come through BWI is just because it's closest to my house. Okay, fair so, enough. But it's also not in DC. Yeah, that is true. And but, Psychaki yeah. graciously allowed us to stay here for Otakon weekend. Yes, yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. Like, normally I'm very much by myself. Well, I have people in my house, but I'm usually keeping to myself. So it was nice to have people to talk to. Yeah, it was really wonderful hanging out and spending time with you. You were a great host. Even though I feel like most of the time we've just been passed out over here. (laughs) That is true. I mean, immediately after we came in from our flight and after we had lunch, what was the place we had lunch from? I don't remember. On the first day? Yeah. uh, We we actually went to a movie, too. But yeah, yeah, we went to Three Brothers Pizza. Um, oh no! But for lunch, or oh lunch, we went to a BBQ Chicken, which it's basically a chicken place. But I mean, they serve Korean food, but like, yeah, yeah they're you know, it's Korean foremost. style fried chicken. Yeah, yeah. and they were pretty flavorful. Yeah, like the, yeah. the chicken we tried. I think it's about Bonchon here. Yeah, which was how we ended uh, our meal this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that was that was. We ended up right back where we started. Yeah, but yeah we went to BBQ Chicken. And, yeah, after I brought you back from the airport, then we kind of figured out our plans. And, then yeah, we did go to get our badges, actually, on Thursday. Yeah, and yeah. that's where we'll start when talking about, you know, the Otakon experiences. You know, we got into D.C. We found parking pretty close to the convention center. Basically, a one-minute walk. And the place we parked was like, Right across the Atlantic Center, so very easy to get in there. And 
you know, anecdotally, I had seen on Twitter people who had arrived to pick up their batches on Thursday at 3 p.m. They had a wait. There was a line winding around in the engine center, so people were worried. However, I think once the line started moving, once people, you know, kind of got into the groove, it went fast. And by the time we got there, it was about 6 p.m., we were in and out. Yeah. You know, obviously, we were picking up press badges, but even if we were going as general attendees to pick up badges, very easy to get into the center, very easy to get through the line to get a badge. It was not terribly long or crowded at all. Yeah, the, the line wasn't stretching outside the door anymore, so yes. it was it was pretty easy, even if we had to stick in the general line. And that's the first thing I want to comment upon with Oticon, is that the line crowd control was very well handled, lines moved very fast. On our second day, you know, we stood in a longer line to get into the center, but it still moved very quick. We were still in there not too long at all. So very good line crowd control, like both for getting into the center and for attending panels. I mean, (laughs) there were no lines to get into any panels. Like, we just walked in and everywhere. And this may be attributable to the fact that perhaps there are not as many people uh, at Otakon as there may have usually been. However, I will also say that I think, in general, the staff just were on the ball. Like, they knew what was up, they knew how to guide people, how to control crowds, how to direct people. They were very helpful throughout the entire process in guiding and directing attendees and us as press. So I think they did a fantastic job. And I want to reiterate that, especially because I know we super hard on them this year, because they were short-staffed. Like, they did not have as many volunteers or staffers as usual. A lot of, especially parents, uh, did not return as staffers out of fear and concerns over, you know, they have unvaccinated children. They don't want to risk exposing them to COVID especially with the Delta variant going around. So they were short-staffed in terms of the volunteers that attended. But I think everyone who did, you know, volunteer and who did service staff, they did a really fantastic job. And I think that helped make the con crowd experience very, very smooth and very, very stress-free. I will say that, generally speaking, as somebody who has gone to Otakon a few times, since they've gone to DC, and I'll give that caveat, they have been pretty good at like, uh, you know, managing crowds, security, all of that stuff. I mean, when we got in, they did ask to search bags, but the couple of times I went with a bag in the past, it was always very straightforward, very quick. You know, you were in and out, you were in the con as quickly as humanly possible. The venue itself is actually pretty nice. I also have to admit that too. Like, yeah, it's I- a large venue, plenty of space in there. This was a con, even though. It has quite the reputation on par with Anime Expo. I would say that far less crowded, which is good, especially considering the times we are in. And way better organized. Way better organized. Yeah, just pretty smooth going. Like, you could walk through the halls very easily. Again, not much crowd. You can get into the panel easily. Really, no lines. And most of the panels were not even full up. There were some that were full up. And we will talk about that because if there is one, there are some criticisms, but a big criticism, especially in terms of how the con handled, you know, COVID precautions, is that there wasn't mandated, you know, distance seating, like, you know, 
attendees, they kind of naturally try to space themselves out from each other. However, especially for Mac packed panels and events, you know, people did have to sit close to each other. Rooms got full. There weren't any many distance seating where, you know, they allowed for one space in between groups or just in general in between people attending. And that, I think, is a really cause of concern and criticism because I know it made a lot of people uncomfortable. A lot of people, anecdotally, I saw when they attended a more crowded event or panel, uh, did end up backing out because, you know, they didn't, they felt that was kind of a risky environment to be in. I think that was very fair. But back on the subject of the staffers, again, I really think that they themselves did an amazing job. And a story that I will share here that is a great example of this is when I attended that industry roundup panel that happened on the last day, and where, you know, the staffers, you know, they had a communication error that came to them from, you know, I guess, higher on, higher up of, like, what was supposed to be going on with that panel. However, they did a good job of communicating with the attendees, with the audience, and letting them know what was happening, what they were trying to work out and figure out. And once the event started going, you know, they were pretty smooth on the ball with letting the videos play and, you know, ripping, jiving with the audience, having a good rapport with them, you know, being very friendly. It was a very comfortable atmosphere. And after the video ended, you know, and there was plenty of space left in the panel to fill in terms of time remaining. You know, they just had some good banter going on with some attendees. So it was a very friendly atmosphere. Like, all the volunteers, all the staffers, you know, very kind. Like, very on the ball with their job and what they need to do and communicating with people. So, again, I really do think they were doing a fantastic job. And my kudos to the Otakon volunteers and staffers who helped make this event possible and helped make a good time for people attending. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, even during the, again, we were talking last day, but the orange panel, they had a little bit of banter at the beginning with, like, yeah, the, yeah. the volunteer coming in to set up the video, and he was like, please don't hate me for my, yeah. like, my His wallpaper. His screen, which was, uh, Bakugo, Chaco Shed. Yeah. <laughs> that was and cute. And then, like, you know, the banter with, like, back and forth with the audience where he's like, you know, no, you shouldn't have said anything. I, I just really love that they were like, oh everybody's like, why did you tell us? We wouldn't have known. <laughs> oh, and the guy who, like, made this joke that the staffer didn't hear, and so, you know, they, he said for the second time, the guy still didn't understand, and so, like, he asked him, hey, can you repeat that again? And the guy didn't want to repeat for a third time, but then that guy, fun thing going in the crowd, or they were like, one more time. Like, everyone started clapping, chanting unison for the guy to tell his joke again one more time. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, I will say the, definitely the staffers of this sort of con were, um, not to say they were in past cons, they were bad, but they were definitely way, I, I feel like they wanted to create that atmosphere, yeah. knowing that, you know, probably people are a bit, you know, shaky on being at, you know, we've come to the con, but we're still kind of like, there's a lot of stuff going on. I feel like they sensed that and wanted to ease people in back into going to Otakon. A lot of like the decorations and stuff to say were saying welcome back. They were very, and you could tell they were very grateful, you yeah. know, because you know that this Otakon was more or less held because if they didn't hold it again, Otakon's future was right. in jeopardy. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. It was a very comfortable, friendly vibe throughout 
the convention from both the part of the staffers and volunteers and the attendees. I think that there was just this shared sense of joy and community in being back together in this space again, interacting with people, fellow fans, and meeting up with people perhaps for the first time in a few years, especially first time going to a con probably since the pandemic. So I think that contributed to that just sense of euphoria, just that sense of like happiness just in that space. And I think that really contributed to just making it a good time. And I think everyone played a really good part in keeping that vibe going positive. To return though to the subject, I did mention one criticism I have of how they handled COVID restrictions or, or lack thereof uh, with the seating. Um, I also will say that in general, I think that most folks did a good job of having their masks on, attending the convention, wearing their masks on all times, except, you know, when eating, understandably. That wasn't necessarily enforced, though, so you had people fall through the cracks. I can tell you there was one instance where I was at the Animagos panel. There was a guy who was sitting a little bit close to me, like we were had a separation in terms of where we were in chairs, but the guy kind of to the left of me, he had his mask up for all, pretty much almost all the panel. So I can say that, you know, in general, I think most people were doing the responsible thing, but because mask placement wasn't enforced, or it was hard to enforce once you got into the to the convention center, like you did have people falling through the cracks and not being as on the ball of always keeping it on, and there also is certainly concern, again, anecdotally, we learned, like, at the closing ceremonies, and when people gave uh, con feedback, well, someone suggested, hey, maybe for the next occasion, we confirm that people are vaccinated before allowing them into the center, and there were boos from the back of the audience in that room, and that draws some concern that those people booing perhaps are themselves not vaccinated, and that draws concern at how many people who attended the con this year were unvaccinated. And that's a really huge concern because the Delta variant is, you know, growing rapidly, and especially in D.C. And uh, that is worrisome. That That's a big risk for people. And, uh, yeah, I would say that is a cause for concern. And that is an area that, you know, I, it, it was a hard thing to enforce. Like, I know that for people getting into the center, they were doing a good job of making sure they had their mask on. And if someone was trying to get in without a mask, they would provide one and force them to wear it before they could go in. And I've heard an anecdote about that witnessing that happen. But inside the center itself, mask enforcement, a little shaky, even though most people are responsible. And also some concern that all, not all attendees perhaps are vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, at least as far as the mask thing is concerned, I feel that's really hard to enforce, especially when they're understaffed. And, like, especially once you're in a panel, like, realistically, you can't just go and look at every single attendee and make sure that 
they have their mask covering their face, which then you have to rely on the trust system, and we all know how that turns out. Right. I will um, say that probably the one grace of that situation is just that, again, because the Washington Center is pretty roomy, people could be spread out and walk comfortably through the con, you know, away from, like, large groups, so there was a lot of big congregation, generally, when you were walking to the center. So you could avoid uh, contact, perhaps, with people who, you know, maybe were unvaccinated or maybe were at risk to, you know, your group. Yeah. So that was okay. Like, the flip side to this is, there wasn't really any moment that I felt overly congested, say, like, at a AX. Right. No, again, it was you weren't packed in like sardines. There wasn't like a difficult time getting through crowds to go anywhere. I would say the most congested place that I traversed to was the artist alley. The artist alley was in a smaller space than the dealer's room, but it had just as many people, if not more people in there. And that consequently meant that people were much closer together when traveling through the artist alley. And of course, people crowding around boots, you know, that's a lot of people congregated close proximity to each other. And so that had me a little nervous as I was walking through there and looking through there. But on the other side of that, the dealer's room, pretty breezy. I mean, same thing, like when you're at the boots, like some people could be a little close together. But just getting through the dealer's room, it was a really big space. And really, there was a lot of distance between boots, so you could walk through there pretty comfortably. And that's true also for seating at the food hall area in the dealers room too. Like the tables were far apart enough from each other, um, so there was a lot of space there. So I think that was an okay space. I think generally most spaces were okay, except in the rare circumstances where panels were. Crowded to 100% capacity. And I do know that the concerts were well attended. And to quote Sam from Anime Herald, it was kind of like an elbows ass situation and how packed people mm. were. So that was uncomfortable, as uh, you know, I've heard described. Yeah, I feel like the ideal thing for next year would definitely be to have a vaccination verification or say if you are immunocompromised have some sort of evidence to show that you are, you know, compromised. I know there is a concern of, say, like, privacy and stuff like that, but if you're going to a big convention like this, especially after the wake of a pandemic, you kind of need to have this. I don't think that the excuse of, oh, these are private matters, is really a relevant thing anymore. Because you, if you're going to con and you're not vaccinated, you are legitimately hurting the people around you. There, There is no yeah. gray lines between that. Vaccinations are free, too, so you should just go get them. Yeah, and, I mean, essentially everywhere at this point. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I know even stopping at a CVS. There was a CVS right across from the convention center. Right. Very See, problem solved. You could walk in there, get the vaccination, go back in. So it really should be a non-issue to get vaccinated. So, you know, hopefully by next year... The situation with the coronavirus will have subsided, and this will be a non-issue yeah. for this year. You know, it was you know a difficult thing. Otakon had to manage, and honestly, 
the circumstances Otakon was in this year and the reason why they had to put on the con in the first place, even under the conditions, you know, Castle, there was a lot of chaos. And I think that it is really admirable that in spite of, like, all these dangers and concerns and in spite of potential chaos trying to put on a con in these times could be, they managed it pretty well and as safely as it could be, but as we discussed, not perfectly. And, you know, hopefully there won't be anything that'll come of uh, the con in terms of, you know, people getting infected and whatnot, but uh, probably best to get tested uh, just in case if you're feeling any, or before you're feeling anything, probably even. But, like, I think the fact that, like, say, like, Anime NYC is here, He's gonna have vaccine like verification, right? I think there's no excuse Otakon can't do the same thing next year. Yeah, if we're still in this situation, I yeah, mean, I think yeah. that's a mandate for all cons going forward that are planning to put on any show at this point, like with <laughs> especially <the> Delta. AX. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, with this Delta variant going on, with still the risk of infections, risk of spreading the virus still out there, and the mortality risk still, you know, very high. Definitely, you know, cons need to put those safety mandates in place and require vaccinations for attendees to be proven. And, of course, really be strict about enforcing mass coverage and other protections, including separated seating situations. Mm, yeah. I guess so we should probably move on to the actual first day. Right. I think it was good to do that general overview about what the con did well in terms of, like, the feel of it. And then in terms, of, of course, very importantly, how it handled COVID-related uh, situations and restrictions. So I think it was good to get that out of the way. And also, again, to discuss the good work of all the staff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll be honest here. Even at, like, cons I enjoy, like Anime NYC, which is probably, like, my favorite con, I've had bad experiences with staff members. At AX, I've had a lot of bad experiences <laughs> with staff members, and I'm sure most people have. Yeah. At Otakon, I had no bad experiences with any staff member. Yeah. They were all kind, courteous, and you could tell they were doing their best. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when we picked up the badges, like, the person, you know, gave us the badges and explained to us, like, Hey, like, here are where the press off room is. Here's where the, you know, press room is. Here's where they're on the map. And then, you know, next day we visited those places and directed with the principal in the press off room. And they were very helpful. And like saying, okay, cool. Like, here is like what you need to know about how to contact us, what you know about the press rec room, like, you know, what you need to do when you have an interview and you need to check in. You know, very good communication, very helpful. Yeah, no, definitely. But, yeah, like we said, it was very breezy, like, very quick and convenient to pick up our badges, and then we're on our way. Like, we were in the center for maybe five minutes, and we were out of there. It was really fast for us. Yeah. And after that, like, not necessarily having to do, to comment, having to do with our time there, we did go see... The Suicide Squad 2, or just the Suicide, Suicide Squad, directed by James Gunn. Suicide Squad. Trying to pretend that the other one did not happen. <laughs> Thank you, DC Multiverse. <laughs> Even though 
it draws in the question, did that one still happen? Because, like, how connected is Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn to her previous portrayal of the character in that version movie? But it is a question, perhaps, that we don't need to worry about. Because yeah, the movie is standalone. It's a lot of fun. James Gunn brings a great sense of humor to it. It does not shy away from the suicide part of the Suicide Squad title. There are a lot of fatalities. But what works about the movie is that it does not indulge in just rampant, you know, violence, gratuitous bloodshed, and murder. I mean, there is a lot of gratuitous murder that is given for comedic effect. But when it comes to our central characters, like, there's a lot of good characterization and a lot of depth to them that is brought out through the course of the movie. And as complimented with humor, but you can really feel in different ways for a lot of the main cast members. And even, you know, Sorrow, the big... <laughs> see, you see, I was going to say, th- this is all well and good, but none of that matters because they did the best thing. They made Sorrow a thick boy Chad. <laughs> Sorrow is great. I love seeing Sorrow in this movie, like, translated as a... Basically a kaiju. <laughs> Somebody just said that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yes. Again, I think Starro was well considered for a giant monster very sympathetic because it was a victim of experimentation and enslavement itself, basically. And it was just, like, trying to lash out and, like, reclaim something that was taken from them, essentially, as a lack of and so it had kind of a tragic bet at the end. It had a very poignant, sad little hook when it passed away that I was happy just drifting through space looking at the stars. And you're like, oh man, like you are a giant monster starfish that like spews mini versions of yourself that attach themselves onto people's faces like they suckers. And then like they basically die and become your zombie. Uh, were servants after that. But, you know, I feel for you and the tragedy of your character at the end. I, I should point, I should say, too, that this is, I never saw the first Suicide Squad, and I haven't really seen any DC movies. That's a good thing. Yeah, you that, don't have to. I yeah, think. I got the idea, from, I got kind of got that from watching this, that it didn't feel like at all that Okay, they made a reference. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, like, it, it really, it really did feel, as you said, it was very standalone and very yeah. much like you could just come in and watch this without any prior knowledge. Yeah, the only so. characters that really carried over from the previous movie are Amanda Waller, Rick Flagg, and Captain Boomerang, and of course Harley Quinn. Right. Like uh, Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn's kind of the star actress of this DC cinematic universe at this point. What with her. Dan in the first one, and then in her own movie, and then now in this one. Yeah. Even though her own movie didn't do that well, unfortunately. Well, that was because it unfortunately came out like a month before quarantine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So still, it's like one of the top-grossing movies of last year by default. Yeah, it's also arguably probably the best DC movie. Yeah. Really? I yeah. think so. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, that might be something to check out, because I liked her performance in Suicide Squad a whole lot. So. Yeah, Mar- Margot Robbie does a very good Harley Quinn. Yeah, but the Suicide Squad, James Gunn really went all out with this one and created like quite a wild ride that really did surprise in a lot of moments. Like it delivered on shocks, but not 
cheap shocks, and I appreciated that. Indeed. So that was a very good movie, but as we mentioned before, in between things we did, oftentimes when we were at Sekai's place, we ended up just, like, sleeping, so... Yeah. Like, well, we even forgot to mention before, but, like, after we had, you know, lunch when we arrived from our flight, and, like, we just ended up sleeping before it was time for us to go and pick up our badges. <laughs> and then right after the movie, we basically just came back and conked out, too. Yeah. Uh, the whole time, when you, before you guys came, I was worried about, what am I going to do with them? Like, I don't want to just have us sitting in a room all day and just staring at each other. But it worked out really nicely that we just could we just fell asleep every time we came back to I, I think we underestimated how tired we'd be when we came back every time. I mean, I guess we haven't. We have had a year off not exercising those con muscles. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, we forgot how exhausting how can be, especially yeah. since Otakon of the Con is interesting because it is open pretty early for con and ends pretty late for con in terms of events. I mean, when I think about it, AX also would have events that would start at 9 and events that end at like 2 a.m. But yeah. this still felt like, wow, this is a packed day. And unfortunately, we couldn't go right up to the end on Friday or Saturday because we need to get back home. Yeah. But we also didn't quite get right at the start of the day either. And that's, I guess, where we begin with the first day of Otakon on Friday. And we took, uh, you know, we drove in there. And we got there around, um, I think, I want to say 10? No, earlier than that. We got there around 9.30ish, and we had yeah. breakfast. We, had, we stopped at a bagel place. Right, right. That's uh, and Warren and I had breakfast, so we had some bagels, and uh, coffee, all chocolate and stuff. And then we got into the event center, and as we mentioned before, Getting the convention center pretty easy. Like, even for that time, uh, like, that was early morning on Friday, you know, still pretty, not quite at the start of when doors open, but, you know, we were still before 10, so still pretty close to it. We still got in pretty quick, and we still got up to where we need to, and toward, like, the kind of upper floor food court area, and, you know, I will say that the food offerings at Otakon, while quite high priced, not, you know, uh, too bad. Like, I think that upper food court district had at least a variety of options, like, Zikaki, uh, you mainly just got like a chicken fries back to get from one place, but they had a, yeah. a bistro there, they had like kind of a, a Mexican uh, offering, I think, there as well. Yes, yes. Uh, when I was last there, and I mean, now that I think about it, maybe I just didn't pay attention. They they had a they they had a new pizza place there that wasn't there last time I was mm-hmm. there. I didn't get a chance to try it, which is a shame, and I'm really sad I didn't. But the chicken tenders there were pretty good. I know when we got there originally on Friday, I mean, it was really early in the morning, but they were open pretty early. But we, you did have to wait for your food a bit. That that's mm-hmm. what ended up happening to me. But when I got it, it was fairly good. And I mean, maybe next time I'd like to try pizza. But yeah, the food offerings. I mean, they were pretty. They were pretty spread out. But you could get food on like you know in the dealer's room yeah. down the upper level. And yeah. there were some like kind of bistros. Like there's a bistro at the very when you come in. Like there's a place you could like get coffee. And, yeah. Like, deli like, stuff. Yeah. So. 
Like it was, you would never really feel a change if you were really hungry. You never really had to look very far, which was nice, and that's yeah. something else about that menu that's really good. And most I of the lines know. weren't that long, no. either. Yeah. So like, it didn't feel like you had incentive not to eat. Yeah, yeah. Even next to the panels area in the like lower, oh, the first floor basically, like there was also kind of a bistro place offering kind of breakfast platforms and coffee, you know, right next to the panel rooms. So mm-hmm. that was also a quick place to grab and weren't there like one. automatic coffee makers? Yeah, there were. There were like yeah, coffee were. machines just scattered around. There were. And there were also a lot of vending machines around, though anecdotally I heard that's a lot of the the soda vending machines were pretty busted, but you know, there were vending machines for snacks and stuff pretty around there. So if you wanted, like, just a snack or a quick thing to eat, you know, it was very easy to get something, find something. Mm. And, you know, there were also, again, the food options were available on every level. Like, you had the Uptown Food District on the top floor, and then middle floor, we had, again, those, like, that thing on the first floor, the bistro that had the breakfast-type options and the coffee and stuff. Then on the bottom floor, in the dealer's room, you had... There's a marketplace kind of place, like, outside of the, the dealer's room in the hall. But then in the dealer's room, you know, you had, you know, the food stalls as well. And, yeah, I mean, food options-wise, we mostly ate in the dealer's room, I think. Lunches, uh, you know, pretty much yeah. every day. I mainly got stuff uh, Friday and Saturday from this one place that was kind of offering more Caribbean-style food. Like so jerk chicken? Jerk chicken, curried chicken, they had, like, those were really good options. And I appreciated that, not eating, like, some, a lot of fried food. Like, I thought the, the chicken was really well made. I thought the cabbage was really well boiled and cooked. Like, it really tasted nice. It felt like I had, like, a really good, well-balanced meal. I appreciated that. I appreciated that as, like, a different option from the normal, like, fast food you usually find at cons. And I feel like there were some other stalls like that that you could say, hey, you could point to, hey, it's not just chicken tenders or fried, it's not just pizza. You can get something else. You have an alternative that you can very easily get, and it feels like, hey, this was actually worth the price I paid. I, I truly felt that about the Caribbean food stalls, that that food, and it's priced about the same as the chicken tenders you can get there. Like, that food was worth the price, actually. Chicken tenders, maybe, you know, pretty average. Maybe double the price of what I'd normally pay for it outside of a concert. But that green food, really strong. Yeah, I agree. Like, I had the uh, jerk chicken, I think, on Saturday. Then the other days I had, like, a Philly cheesesteak, and, like, even today, like, I had, like, burger and fries. All of it was pretty good, though. None of it was bad. The place where you got the Philly cheesesteak from, the name of the restaurant, or the name of the stall, escapes me. But they were also in the Artist Alley. That's also something you mentioned. That Artist Alley also had food options. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Like, again, you could find, you know, food options pretty readily and accessibly in different places in the concert. Yeah, they even have, like, a root beer uh, stall that's, like, yeah. at, like, every con nowadays where they give, like, the unlimited refills. You know, if I knew they'd be there, I bought my mug from home that I still have. Oh, yeah. I think I still have mine, too. 
Oh yeah, and then Sakaki and I got ice cream on Saturday. Yes. Oh, I yeah. meant to try that ice cream from the orange truck. Yes, the and they they ring the bell, they ring the cowbell, and it's done and everything. Because <laughs> yeah. like we were wondering about that, they couldn't ring the bell. And we we're like, what is that for? And I was like, huh, this is kind of making me want ice cream. Now. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we worked had a Pavlov like reaction to it. No, I mean, but we got it. I mean, it was ready. It was already frozen, so it wasn't a thing that they like. You know, they pulled yeah. out a freezer and they gave it to you. But it was actually pretty good. We both got strawberry. Yeah, we yeah. both got strawberry. Yeah, it was actually pretty good. I think they had some other specialties too, but I just wanted to know a bit based. Yeah, same. So I wanted yeah. to play it safe. But it would be something uh, in future of the cons that I would get that ice cream again. Yeah, it totally. was definitely a great alternative to like as uh, Lum said the the chicken tenders and the you know pizza. It was nice yeah. to have something else. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the food offerings at the con were pretty good, and they and they generally have been every time I've gone. I mean, even when I don't eat there, like I I've seen that you know you do don't you aren't pigeonholed into eating just con food. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah they even had like a firehouse subs. Yeah, so that was the place I was talking about. That I think you got your sub from. Yeah, that was also in the artist alley. Yeah, firehouse subs is like I believe they're like they're pretty sizable chain but like they they make good stuff yeah yeah i would i really want to get ice cream from that orange cow truck next time definitely but yeah just never got around to it but yeah in some the food options very strong but yeah basically after we had near breakfast by that point it was getting close to 10 30 and there were a few things in the morning that i had been interested in that Missed, like Daryl Surratt had a, you know, anime from 1991, you know, and it's 30 years ago type panel, Spotlight and uh, I would have liked to go on to that, but missed that, and then Tom Asnable and a few others had a giant robot generation panel that we just missed start of, but starting at 10.30 was another panel held by the Anime World Order crew. So Daryl Surratt and Gerald and Clarissa, and this panel was the best openings for shows you probably didn't see. And that was a fun time. Like, it was a mix of classic shows that generally, like, I had never seen and some I had never even heard of before. And then, you know, new some newer stuff that's pretty underrated, like Sleepy Prince has got a shout-out yeah. nod there, yeah. and that was pretty nice. And that was actually also another one of those panels that was pretty full up, I think. Because, yeah, for the uh, most part, I think they were starting to cap things as they were coming in. I so, didn't, I didn't, wasn't, in, I didn't make it in there with you guys when I was eating, but I did see from the, I did see from the outside that they had, um, that they did have an attendee kind of telling people, hey, it's getting capped off. Yeah. You know, you should, you know, you probably won't be able to find a seat, you know. Yeah, because, like, when I was going in, there was a, a staff member going in with a ticker every time someone go, was going in. Yeah. To yeah. make sure, like, we didn't go over the gap. Yeah. Yeah. So they were pretty good at, pretty good at that. I mean, she was very kind. She was just telling people, you know, I'm sorry, but this is what, you know, what's going on. I was observing that while sitting out outside. So, but yeah, first I wish I could have gone to that panel, but I decided to wait, so that's my fault. <laughs> God, <laughs> so well, God. it's okay, because you made it into the next one, and that, which is really good. I mean, just my last thoughts on the best openings you can see now is, is that it is impressive, like, how many different openings they managed to go through. I kept track of them. We've got 27, so that's pretty good uh, making 
that many in an hour. And in addition to just showing you amazing, you know, they also had good commentary, good insights on some of the rarer ones, more obscure ones. Like the one about the lady journalist, <laughs> the show that was an Italian singer singing an English song for a show set in France produced in Japan. That show where one of the lines of the opening, I remember, is Tony's a girl who was in the world. I want to hunt down that show. That show seems like a lot of interesting little trip to uh, some obscure nostalgic past. So I, I'm, I'm interested in that. There are some really interesting ones they spotlighted of shows like I never, genuinely never heard. Before, but it seemed very interesting. Was that one for like uh, Ars Boy Remy or whatever? Well, Nobody's Romantic. Yeah, Nobody's Romantic was spotlighted there, but I knew Nobody's Boy Remy. I didn't know Nobody's Boy Remy. Well, apparently, you know, somebody had to know Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. I'm kind of concerned about how they keep saying it's a like a super depressing show. I mean, oh yeah, because no, that opening looks so happy. That is a great comment. I think Clarissa was the one who said it should have been said titled "Homeless Boy Remy" <laughs> or some kind. Because yeah, it is a show that's very depressing. That kid gets that should be gutter. It's a very much like. Appearances, the CG kind of show, kind of like Unico. You think, oh, Unico, uh, fluffy little unicorn, by Keska, very kitty, no, very, very harsh. Or like, wait, uh, wait, what? <laughs> or ringing bell? The, yes, the one yes, with the sheets. Yes, oh, that one basically I know like <laughs> an even more hardcore Bambi. I didn't know Unico was fucked up. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> But yeah, no, that was a fun time, you know, just seeing some interesting different openings and getting some commentary on them from the Amberwood yeah, Oil crew. And then after that, in that same A&B theater, was Evan Minto's The Art of the iCat, the one that I was really looking forward to. And Evan really did a lot of good research on the history of how iCat has been used in anime, categorizing different types of eye-catches and how they've been employed in shows, spotlighting a lot of really cool and fun examples. Among my favorites were the slime dunk eye-catches, which had, like, an <laughs> English right, speaker yeah. give either motivational messages or just, like, some commentary on the characters, and it was a lot of fun. And, yeah, like, I enjoyed seeing the variety of different eye-catches and, you know, the history of them tracking that and also learning that, hey, you know, eye-catches are becoming international phenomenon. So here are some eye-catches, you can, examples you can see in, like, Western TV shows and potentially, you know, some early eye-catches from Western TV shows may have influenced the training Japanese TV shows like, for instance, The Witch is. Mm-hmm. So, Clearly um, Mori has the best anime eye-catches. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think Evan did a fantastic job in his researching of the history of eyecatches on that panel and brought like a lot of really fun, cool examples. And I tried it out like most of the panels, so I'll link that as I will a lot of the panels that I visited and tried it. But yeah, like it was a really excellent experience, and I am excited to you know uh, see Evan continue to refine and grow it and future. Uh, cons and and just see like what other insights you might find. Like there was a some good also Q and A's after the main section of the panel, and I I do appreciate the 
call to attention to Pokemon very brilliant use that Pokemon yeah. eye catch. Again, a brilliant exercise in both branding and marketing, but in a fun, memorable way, you know? And I gotta say, like, Evan's also really good at, I think, responding to feedback, because, like, he even was like, oh, hey, uh, this is something I talked about, this is why maybe necessarily didn't make it in. Yeah. I think it was a really good, like, communication with the audience. Yeah. Including, like, talking about, hey, like, would you consider, like, kind of these kind of network kind of promo things that are, like, happening after the opening, after an anime opening or anything, usually, where it's, like, just, like, kind of the yeah, you kind of consider that a bump, and Evan's like, not necessarily, and that's mainly because, like, oftentimes those are more network produced rather than produced by the production company of the show, so yeah. usually less creative, usually more straightforward. Yeah, so. like, some shows, like, say, Conan, they just intentionally make the opening, so there's just this, like, gap at the end where it's just a still image and the music keeps playing. Yeah, that's so that the, they can overlay the commercial sponsors. Yeah, like that Y T V does that. Let, yeah. That's Y T V's thing. Because like if you look at anime from there I mean my anime to me doesn't do it. But like most of like Conan, Kikaishi, Inuyasha, I mean Inuyasha is the most popular yeah. one because like people Yeah. And Inuyasha actually does have an have skits for that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's true. They have animated those That's true. That's true. So that would be an interesting, that would be an interesting distinction. Would that count as an eye catch in Evan's life? Because that is clearly produced by the production studio that's produced by Sunrise for that section. So would that count as like an eye catch? Now that's an interesting question to point to Evan's way, those examples. I <laughs> think maybe we could ask him about it later. But overall, I think that was it was a really great panel. Oh, and you know, Sunrise is pretty decent there because like Gintama also had oh. that. They like Gintama didn't have like an actual animated skit, but they had little the little bars at the end. Yes, where, I, yeah, I know yeah, this. They, they would like kind of after the opening, maybe the bar they'd make like snarky comments about the show. I remember there was one episode where it was like Gintoki. It was after the opening, and Gintoki was sleeping. He was like, "Hey, hey, wake up! The show started." <laughs> What are you doing? Wake up. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. And it's like the sponsors are running towards during it too. So like yeah, I, I feel like Sunrise is really clever in how they use those. Yeah. I would agree. Like that's an that would be interesting point Adam's way. It's like, hey, would you would you consider these assembly bike catches? Even though like unlike the standard mid episode I catches, they don't sandwich two different they don't sandwich a commercial break of the show. So yeah. it's a really interesting thing. Honestly, I feel like they'd be their own things. Like it might be Interesting to find, like, a history of sponsorship bumps. Yeah, you know, maybe that's another subsection of, of the panel for Evan. Like, yep, that'd be interesting to find him. But, yeah, that was a fantastic panel, for sure. And really cool. And I was worried that originally, like, we did dip out of that, like, ten minutes early. But I think we would have been good if we had stayed the whole way. One thing we were worried about, just because our previous con experience... Is was that you know if we wait till the last minute to get to a panel, usually we'd be full up and we couldn't get in. Not so much the case here at Otakon, where for most of the panels, basically the rooms usually weren't full up, so it was pretty easy to get in and get out and come at your leisure. And that was true for the Denpa panel, which was where we attended next, and that was probably one of the bigger highlights because you know manga publisher industry panel. But, yeah, like, the Denpa panel wasn't completely full up. It just had a fairly successful showing. It wasn't completely full up, and 
didn't really make any announcements. Uh, did like it was they just did an overview of the titles that you know they've released so far and kind of gives a commentary of how well they're doing. And so there was some good like commentary on like, hey, like these titles have been like really well for us in a surprising way, or and these are some titles we're working on. There are some challenges we're getting with some of the titles we just recently announced, like mentioning some of the problems with toward Kaichi and they were eleven. Yeah, with Kaichi and they were eleven. That's causing like some delays and pressure. And also March can send like a lion. They yeah. said that the files together that are kind of a rough shape too. Yeah, which I think that was the most valuable part. Like obviously they didn't announce anything, but Ed was pretty frank about like how things were doing, like, right. and, like, how long things were taking, like, uh, people always wonder, oh, why does Kaiji get delayed, like, 50 <laughs> billion times? It's because, like, yeah, they're working off of, like, raw plates, they have to scan and everything. They have to, like, actually create the line, borderlines, and all the white space. They're basically creating the digital version on their own, because they just right. have physical materials. It was a very educational panel of, like, how they have to work with these raw files and materials from publishers and all the work that goes into translating that into creating a, the final book. Yeah. And it's definitely interesting because, like, you can tell it's not necessarily the same with every publisher. Mm-hmm. And Dempa is a unique position where, like, they aren't owned by right. They're independent. They only really have three people yeah. necessarily, like, the full-time staff. And yeah. Some freelance obviously, like, yeah, they have, they have freelance people that work on the translation and lettering. But, like, it's still a lot of work for such a small group of people with, like, a fairly sizable catalog at this point. Yeah. yeah. And they've added, you know, with Marching's on the end, quite a big series. With yeah. IG, quite a big series. So they're working on some big stuff. But, yeah, they mentioned that there were some nice surprises uh, for them in terms of titles. Like, Pleasure and Corruption was one that really surprised them at how well it's selling. Yeah. There was another one... The girl with the Sampaku face is doing really well Sampaku for them. Eyes. Sampaku eyes. doing very well for them. So it's cool to see some nice art, especially in kind of genres that usually we don't hear as much about. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I did like his comments about like uh, why they're kind of picking up a lot of like old Moto Hagio manga. It's less that like they want to pick classic manga that's not necessarily Ed's yeah. purpose. Mm-hmm. It's that they want to pick up I guess, like, interesting manga. Right. They want to show the diversity of titles in yeah. the space and show off, like, the range of manga as an art form, which I appreciate that mission, and I appreciate them choosing and correctly selecting the titles in that interest. Yeah. And to be fair, there are other Moto Hagio titles that they want. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited for those. So they're probably also Shaggy, because uh, <laughs> Moto Hagio is mainly Shaggy. I, I really need to read some Moto Fabio, but I mean that was definitely good for me. <laughs> <laughs> that was the bread and butter of your yeah, yeah, They yeah. had Shaggy on the power point. Yeah, they yeah. Just, they, yeah, and I will say, I mean, not to you know get too much off topic, but this is my first. I mean, I've gone as press many times before, but usually I just sort of hang around and don't. I just kind of like shark my responsibilities gang moocher <laughs> but this time I actually I actually uh, tweeted the thread from WSSTV's Twitter just you know talking about some of the shoggy titles they picked up in because I wasn't expecting it to go crazy and go viral 
but he got some good response, especially uh, one from a, like Indonesia or Indonesia follower who was like, "See, Dempo supports Shogaku Khan. Where you Viz? That's the company that's literally co-owned by Shogaku Khan." I mean, it's just, that was really funny, but like, yeah, you know, and the biggest surprise for me, even though it was announced before the con, obviously, was Renjo Desperado by Andongjik, yes, that was a big surprise to me, and I'm happy to see that coming out, because I read, I think I own volume one in Japanese, Mm -hmm. but Either way, I'm glad to see that happening. And they sort of mentioned they like to keep working with Adon Chief, so yeah. like I would love to see Limburg come out. That's that's a very beautiful manga. That'd and, be really cool. Like I I'm really surprised I didn't get an anime or anything, but it ran the same magazine as uh, Renjo Desperado, so perhaps, you know, if we're lucky we can see Lindbergh come over too. Oh, was Gasson? Yeah. Both, oh nice. Both of uh yeah, he worked with mostly Guess On until uh, Apare Ranman, which is an afternoon. It's it's Gidansha, but I mean yeah. Kodansha, but I don't know what that is. And that's also like an anime original. Yeah, that too. I don't know if the manga's still going even. Because he recently had on Twitter that he's looking for assistance, so I'm assuming a new serial's on the way, but it doesn't say where. Maybe it, he'll yeah. come back to Shaggy. You never know. Maybe. Well, Some people so. come back from Kodansha. <laughs> That, that doesn't happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Otaka will come back, Sakaki. You don't want her back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <harsh>. <laughs> but yeah, the Tempest panel was really good, and, I, and I'm glad that I actually got to fulfill my press duty and actually, <laughs> and actually tweet things as press there. Yeah, and which are guys' press duty basically done? <laughs> you guys headed off to the dealer's room. That's where we parted ways, basically, after the panel. Like, I went to Sam of Henry Harold's, like, Soccer Wars retrospective panel, which was really excellent. Soccer Wars was franchise. I didn't have a ton of familiar with it outside of seeing Sam gushing about it on Twitter a lot and reading some of her posts. But it was really cool to learn about the multimedia aspect of the franchise, both the games and the anime, how they differ, how they interconnect, and then some of the related stuff. It also got me curious to hunt down the now long out of print, like Tokyo Pop release of the manga. But I do want to hunt it out because even Sam gave it like a really good recommendation. It seems very interesting. It has like character designs from the mangaka of Oh My Goddess. So, Ooh, yeah. 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 So, yes. That was really interesting. I wish I had gotten into the panel just a bit earlier before it started because apparently Sam was doing a giveaway where she was giving out like Blu-rays of Soccer War. So that was really fun. But like I really enjoyed the panel and I really enjoyed learning the Soccer War. It really got me interested in checking out the franchise games and anime and manga. And it was really cool to like chat with Sam afterwards and then introduce myself to her and exchange business cards. So it was cool to make that connection, like meet her in person after like following her and Anime Feral and their work for so long. Yeah, I mean, Samantha seems like a really cool person. I, I did get to actually meet her later in the con, but we'll get to that on the final day. But yeah, I mean, Sakaki and I, uh, we spent a good t- amount of our cons in the vendors area. We spent so much money. Probably <laughs> too much money, but you know what? I spent most of my money on Shaggy manga. You did. You did. You're, yeah. making, you're making Saturday Night Shaggy proud. Exactly. I'm the real anchor. <laughs> you're Mr. Moneybags. You have that money to spend, so use it. Spend it, you know? 
Yeah, even though I'm the one without a job right now. Still, I mean, we looked at each other's bank accounts and we did pretty oh. goddamn well. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I did not spend as much time in the dealer's room as you guys, but I also, between my dealers and artist alley trips, did uh, spend a sum, though I did not buy as much manga as you guys. I really, when I went to the dealer's room, I really, I visited all four different kind of manga booths there, like all four, like, sellers that were, you know, selling manga and had manga selections. So the one that, you know, really was the most interesting was Cheap Manga's Boot, because, of course, you know, pretty much half-priced books with, you know, a good deal on, like, if you get four, you can get four books for $20. It's like, again, some big savings there. They're usually good good savings. Like, I have ordered from them online before for a lot of stuff, too. And they had a lot of good selection. A lot of it was, I think, overstock Seven Seas and Tokyo Pop stuff. Yeah, but seemed there like was that. a lot of variety within that. And I will say that uh, I was tempted to use that as an opportunity to get the Kase Song series in print because I have all that digitally. But I do go serious. I was considering getting in print, but I feel like well, I don't need to collect series necessarily. What I focused on was like, I saw, okay, they had blank canvas, two through four. I have one, but I still need the remaining volumes, so I got that, and oh good, they had my souls change their volume one. I have two, I don't have one, got that. And so basically, I was filling some gaps in my collection, and that's really all the manga I bought. I bought three of the four remaining blank canvas volumes I needed, and then the one remaining my selection January volume I needed. I wish they had Blank Canvas 5, so I could have just completed Blank Canvas even, but, you know, I'm so glad to have filled in some of my gaps. But that's it for manga. Besides that, the only other thing I got in the dealer's room were shirts from this one booth that had just really great graphic design uh, for, like, um, their shirts in terms of, like, uh, like just their art style, like they really make great use of black colors and have good kind of neonish palettes. And I really appreciate them. Sekaki actually had I didn't yes. notice, but they had the an Inuyasha shirt that I also got from there. And apparently you and Jack also got for Jack like a llama shirt, which I wish they had. They didn't have that this time, but I should I should hunt down a picture of that, but. Yeah, they were at Katsukon in 2019. I, I don't know if it's the same vendor. It might be. It's likely It, it is likely. I think it's yeah, the and vendor. they had... At that one, they had Rogman, Akane, and Inuyasha, and Kagome. And I bought the Inuyasha and Kagome for myself, and uh, Ranma and Akane for my girlfriend. And I'll find the pictures eventually, hopefully. But I And I think I bought something for them again to on the last day, uh, Hanako shirt again for my girlfriend. Yeah, I got the Hanako shirt too. Okay. For myself. So. Yeah, so I got the Hanako shirt, I got the Inuyasha and Kagome. They had a lot of Demon Slayer and Neon Genesis Evangelion yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only Demon Slayer shirt I got was Shinobu and Canal, because they were my favorite characters. I love their aesthetic already, and in their style, like with the purple palette, like, and kind of the more modern fashion kind of thing yes. that they had going for it. I really liked it, so I got them. And I also got, like, I wanted to get one of the Ava shirts, but they're out of the Asuka. 
Then my second choice was a Shinji, but they only had that in kind of a sweater form, which was not fitting into like you get two shirts for the discount deal. Yeah. Instead, I got their Bulma shirt, which also is really excellent, really clever. It's like kind of like a gotcha style with the capsule pods and in the gotcha is like three different types of panties. So it kind of fits with Bulma's aesthetic and kind of her early character type operandi in kind of a modernized, fun little way. So I, I thought the shirts were pretty cute. So yeah, those were the shirts I got. And that's all I got from the dealer's room. But now, ah, that's such a great Rama Nakane. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love, I love the fashion style of the art style there. Yeah. So yeah, I just showed, I just showed off the Rama Nakane I got from Katsukon. Yeah, it, it's a really good shirt. I actually kind of wish I'd gotten Ron Lanakane for myself rather than Iyasha and Kagome, but <laughs> we, we figured we'd, we'd, we'd match, but be a little different too. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, going back to Cheap Manga real quick, I mean, I, I will say I really liked our customer service, so <laughs> I bought a Voynich Hotel, Dolan Seiman. Like, um, I accidentally bought two volume ones. It wasn't until I posted on Twitter and I realized, wait, those comics both look exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) And then I realized I bought two volume ones. So I went back to them. This was Friday. And I went back to them Saturday. I was just like, I bought two volume ones. And I mean, I could kind of tell the the, the vendor was kind of looking at it like, hmm, should I do this? But they, they did. They didn't give me any trouble. They took the one of the volume ones back and gave me the volume two. Apparently it's three volumes, which... Would have been great to get the whole series, but we'll see. If I enjoy it, then obviously I'll get the last one. But I, I did, I did like that. Like they were really nice about that. I was fairly prepared to buy volume two if I had to, and then just give away volume <laughs> one. I mean, only because the, the prices are so good. I mean, six bucks, you know, for a manga, and the, the original price is like eleven. So, like, yeah, I was fine with buying it again. But I'm glad that that didn't, I didn't have to do that. So. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess compared to you guys, I spent a lot more money on manga. <laughs> yeah. Um, What'd you get, V-Lord? <laughs> yeah, so first off, I well, man, yeah, cheap manga had some very good deals. Not really anything I was particularly interested in, though. One place that did, though, was, what are they called? Longshot Anime. Which yes, is, they're very good, yes. Yeah, which was essentially a booth run by uh, the comic store Painted Vision Comics. Which I believe is based in Woodbridge, Virginia. And man, they had a treasure trove of out of print manga. Um, so like, th- these were kind of my three categories for manga I was interested in, in getting at this con. One, manga that have physical releases that are very overpriced and out of print. Two, manga that are no longer licensed and out of print. And three manga that are just physical only. And this place had a lot of things fitting in those categories, to say the least. Uh, So first off, I got, like, volumes three to five of Dark Horse's release of Crying Freeman, which is very hard to get now. They usually go for around $30 to $50, depending on where you look. Uh, You can buy it digitally, but... Uh, Lum and I already own the first two volumes of the Dark Horse release, so I kind of felt might as well get these, because the thing is, too, is that, uh, they were selling all these manga at MSR pre-price, so if it was an out-of-print manga, you were automatically getting a good deal on it, because, mm-hmm. like, one of those volumes, I was saving at least $20. Yeah. And it was also buy three, get one free. 
So it was just kind of a perfect uh, storm to get a bunch of stuff. And I also found Ultimo Volume 12, like Hiroyuki Takei's Karakuri Doji Ultimo, which has become like very hard to find the second half of. Volume 12 is to the point where you can't even find it secondhand because I think it got such a low print run. Um, yeah, so I bought that. And then uh, I bought a good chunk of uh, Bakagaiman, which, uh, for people that don't know, uh, was originally conceived by the GOAT, the legend, Kazuhiro Fujita. <laughs> yes, and um, Mitsuhisa Tamura. Mitsuhisa Tamura actually did a Pokemon manga, too, shown on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pokemon Reversed. So, yeah, weirdly, that's never been brought over. Well, that, I find it weird that Bakugyamon, <laughs> the one, the, the franchise that the anime was never brought over and it was the last work of the studio that drew it before they went defunct, that was brought over, but Pokemon Rebirth was never brought over. But yeah, um, Lord got that. I mean, I followed him to that booth and I got Wiki Volume 16, I think. Yeah. yeah. I got Ueki Volume 16 from there. I've had Volume 9 through 16 for a long time. In fact, they're the reason why I went into translation to begin with. So, I've had those for a while. So, I've been, I, I never, by the time the Viz version came out, like, that was at a point where I really didn't have money to buy manga. So, like, even buying Volumes 9 through 16 set me back for a while. I was eating, like, I was eating crackers and stuff to make up for that, but, but like, yeah, being able to just read the Viz version and Fukushi, the original Japanese, was really great, and I bought, I don't know, I think I got Hide and Closer from somewhere else. Yeah, but, you did. But, yeah, I got that. That was my bounty for the first day. I mean, I'm only going into this, like, detour just because I didn't get much the first day, but, yeah. yeah. And then, like, around that time after we battled, the Sakaki and I went and got lunch, and then I was thinking, huh? There was another Sunday manga I saw at uh, the place. Uh, I forget the name. It, a long box? No, long shot anime. Oh, okay, long shot anime. Yeah, yeah. There was another. Did you get an Indian pavilion book stand or the pavilion? Pavilion was had anime and manga. Yes. Yeah, so I'll, I'll get into that in a sec. Okay. So, at long shot anime. There was another. Uh, old Sunday series, now unlicensed by Viz, that was there. And it was Project Arms! <laughs> yes. Yeah, by uh, Ryoji Minagawa and uh, Kyoji uh, Nanatsuki. I believe one of them uh, did a Tante Zeno, right? Yeah, uh, um, yeah, Tante Zeno, and uh, that ran on Sunday pretty good. I think it was like seven volumes, but it ran on Sunday like, like two, three years ago. And then uh, Mina, that was Minagawa drew um, Sea King Dante, which recently ended in Gesson. So they're both mm. still they're still, both still kicking in Sunday or Shogun and Shogi. Nice, but like so at Longshan Anime, they had Volume Three of Project Arms, then Volumes Five through Seventeen, and then Volumes Nineteen to Twenty Two. So basically, almost the entire series. Like, it's a 22-volume series, so, it, like, that was a very good chunk. It was still buy three, get one free on all of it. So I was like, okay, it's going to be a pain in the ass to get the second hand online. I might as well just buy it all here. And that's what I did. <laughs> Probably not a great financial decision, but, hey, it's worth it. I mean, totally. hey, I, I, I just wonder how Vilor's going to get this home. We'll find a way. <laughs> find a way. I joke with Sakaki, worst case scenario, we're going to make him drive us into having, uh, 
help us buy a duffel bag? Yeah, I'm totally not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I will say that one thing, though, is, like, it made it easier to spend so much money as con, not just because we have no self-control, <laughs> but <laughs> because, like, things seemed pretty decently priced. Yeah. I know, Velour, you were talking about, was it the, it was the cent- not cent- discotheque booth. Yeah. Like, everything there, because at first you were like, there's no point of buying stuff here because you can get cheap and write stuff. But then you checked it, and you were like, actually, you're doing better by Yeah, it, it was cheaper than <laughs> even the currently discounted prices on right stuff. So I think it was probably like 33% off, mm-hmm. at the very least on everything. That was a discotheque product. If it wasn't a discotheque product at that booth, then it was maybe a bit higher. But say like uh, some, some of the titles like that you usually get for like 50 on right stuff were like 45 or 40. So it was uh, pretty good. But uh, I guess going back to Project Arms and finishing up that story. So the, the, when I was looking through the out-of-print volumes that I still needed, I saw that one of them, Volume 18, is kind of known for being a bit pricey online, around $40 or so. And I was like, huh, I'll probably be able to wait it out and eventually get it for cheap. But then I walked around some of the other manga areas, and what did I find? Volume 18 of Project Arms at MSRP Price. <laughs> so I picked up that, filled in another gap, then I went to the Pavilion booth, Anime Pavilion, and I found Volume 4 of Project Arms. So now I have Volumes 3 to 22 of Project Arms, and I'm only missing the first two volumes, which are honestly pretty easy to get, as most early volumes of series are. So yeah, I, I'll probably, by the time this episode's out, have all Project Arms. Well, there you go. You are managed to collect an almost complete series. At one at one con. An almost complete twenty plus volume series. We're already buying twenty volumes of one series. It's funny because yeah. we, we saw that they that Discotech had the anime and now I regret not getting it. <laughs> and it's like still pretty affordable online too. Okay. Like it's in print. Okay. Yeah. But uh the sad thing is that's not even all the mug I bought, but we'll get into that in like day two and three. Um, but yeah, I, I felt pretty good after that. My arms were uh, aching by the end. The guy that sold me uh, all the Project Arms of Longshot Anime was like, man, I feel bad for the next Project Arms fan. <laughs> and, and I was thinking to myself, I don't think there are any Project Arms fans. Well, hopefully, otherwise you ruin their con. <laughs> okay, to be fair. You to ruin be... their dreams in collecting all the Project Arms at this con. This was their one chance. They were saving for it. And you dashed those hopes on a win. You just created a supervillain. <laughs> to be fair, a lot of those vendors had a lot of Project Arms for some reason. None of them had complete sets. But, like... I wonder how many, like, copies, like, Viz printed of it. Because it seems like there's a lot out there. At least for, like, the early volumes. Well, I thought, you know, they wanted to be armed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not armed now because they don't have it. <laughs> but yeah, um, possible Project Arms episode in uh, 2022 for SNS. <sighs> Yes, I'm so looking much. forward to it. We'll have you buy it all Japanese so we can compare. I mean, <laughs> if it's cheap, then... Yeah, it's, it's on Bookwalker. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it would be interesting to compare because you were comparing, like, the lettering in that to the Japanese, and you're feeling that, hmm, like, this lettering series is not quite as dynamic as the Japanese lettering. For what series? Oh, 
No, that wasn't Project Arms. Oh, I wasn't. That was the other title that I bought at oh, no. Longshot Anime. Oh, was that so, Firefighter? You spoiled the surprise. Oh. <laughs> you ruined the immersion. But yes, uh, so they had like a good uh, set of Firefighter volumes at uh, Longshot Anime. And I wasn't really interested in them, even though Firefighter physicals are kind of uh, rare and pricey. I already own all of it digitally. Mm-hmm. I don't really need physicals, and honestly, I kind of prefer having digital manga. But one thing they did have is the original flip version of Firefighter Volume 1. Uh, for people that don't know, when Viz Media originally released Firefighter, they released it in left to right, and then they backtracked the next year and started releasing it again uh, from Volume 1 in right to left. So this is just some weird single volume that is just flipped, and I kind of just wanted to have it. And it's really interesting, too, because it has the same localization staff. It's still lettered by Steve Dutro, but Dutro actually went and uh, lettered all the sound effects in the flipped version, um, and but in the right-to-left version that was released later, all these sound effects are still in Japanese. So it's actually a very uh, interesting thing to compare. And when I do give uh, Firefighter a proper read-through, I'm definitely going to be kind of scanning through both to really see uh, what kind of difference there di- uh, differences there were. Because, like, they weren't released that far from each other, but they seemed to be approached from a different angle, which was interesting. Nice. It's also honestly just a good quality book, too. Because, like, it's pretty big. It's bigger than normal manga volume. Paper quality's decent. So, yeah. Worth the purchase. And it's a nice novelty of uh, Sunday history. Yeah, there's a lot of shocking out of simple manga being bought at the Zodacon. But we ended up convening in the dealer's room, and then we were debating about what panel to go to. Originally, we were thinking we might go to the Jujutsu Kaisen panel, which had the actress and the dub. But we kind of, I think I kind of ended up getting on Jiggle too late for us to go do that. Then we were also considering the Megalop panel, which is interesting. We didn't really know who the presenters were. We were a little skeptical about going to that. So instead, though, we decided we'd go to the business of voiceover, which is being conducted by Laura Poe, seasoned voice actress. who's played many a role, including Kayo in the Demon Slayer dub. So that's the DSP connection. I'm going to be honest, I forgot she was Tommy. <laughs> okay. But this was a great panel because Laura Post was able to give her perspective as an actress, as a you know, voice director, on like what kind of skills are needed in order to break into the field, in order to build a good demo, in order to find and reach out to and cultivate a relationship with agents and things for getting work. And also thoughts on kind of the current state of dubbing, including the uh, situation with unions and whether unions are kind of encroaching on their rights to get the whole, you know, record from home situation and that kind of trickiness. And the great thing about the panel is that she also, you know, was trying to use another way to reach out to help mentor, you know, up and coming aspiring voice actors. And there were most of the people at Fiction's were indeed up-and-coming voice actors with questions that often these people already had some experience about. They've already built real. They already started doing the work and they were just asking for further questions from more of like how to, you know, keep going, where to go next, the next step for them. 
which is really cool to see. And she managed to help out and answer questions of a lot of people. Like, I, you know, kept track of all the questions being asked, and basically there were 23 uh, questions. I think um, 22 unique people asked questions. Heck, even my tool asked a question at the panel. The goat. Oh, yeah, we said hi to my tool at the temple panel. Yeah, that's something uh, we forgot to mention. We actually managed to, we sat right next to my tool in the front row of the temple panel, and we were able to chat with him, you know, in pleasant series afterwards. Or more like we forced Sakaki to say hi. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, so there was a story that had written in Otocon 2018 that, uh, Jack, uh, my girlfriend and I, we were sitting right behind him, and we were like, is that my tool? And we were both cowards and kind of discussing who should go talk to him. And we both didn't. <laughs> so, so now, many, you know, now I finally did get to talk to him. Like, And he actually remembered the panel that we were in. Uh, I mean, I mentioned what the panel was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. And we were, it was a Nobutoshi Kana panel. And, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, I remember that. And he was like, yeah, it was nice to meet you. You know, I mean, he complimented what I was wearing, which that day was a Zelda a bucket cap and a Hunter Hunter, like, button-down shirt. Yeah. So, From Hippoland. Yes. Hippoland. I don't know how to pronounce it's it It's Hippoland. There's no E. <laughs> but it sounds so, like, it sounds hype. Like, Hippoland. Like, there's no E. <laughs> it makes no sense anymore. My life is a lie. You ruined everything. So I didn't ruin anything. You just weren't paying attention. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. That, it was nice to be able to talk to my tool. I mean, I consider that one other con I saw him once and never got to talk to him. And now in this other con, I've seen him, like, several times. Yeah, he was everywhere. It's like... <laughs> It was like a Where's Waldo where it's like, oh, there's Mike Tool. <laughs> oh, there's Mike Tool. Yeah. We saw Mike at a lot of the panels we visited. Yeah, it was interesting to see him so much, but yeah, it was great. I mean, he was pretty, he was pretty chill. Yeah. You know. He said, I uh, look forward to Project Echo, which yeah. uh, we were. Yeah, we did. That was stay tuned. But yeah, that was good seeing him. So. Yeah, we were talking about it. Yeah, the lore post panel was really great. I mean, the other things that she mentioned was like kind of find the nuances in her voice delivery when she's using her voice with a high register and a deeper register, like with some of the characters she played, like Wagyu, and kind of finding a distinction in like different types of voices, even within that register, and how the nuances can be delivered in, like, just different deliveries that can create a completely different character, and even how, like, sometimes even just bad impressions of people is a way of creating your own original yes, character. Yes, I love that. Yeah, that was a very fun anecdote. And, yeah, I thought there were a lot of cool insights onto the craft of voice acting in there, and also a lot of cool insights and kind of the state of voice acting in terms of like the bigger picture, like the business of it, and stuff going on with the union and the work, recording at home situation. I also thought it was interesting just to hear some anecdotes of her experiences, you know, working like on Western anime productions, like this is the action of Ultron, like being able to record alongside people, like all together versus how most anime get in the sun where you are recording individually. And how you usually get like a two hour set time for your session where you're supposed to get as much out of it as possible. She also had a really great anecdote about a role she was playing where she was basically like really screaming the top of her lungs out for this character and like the care they took to make sure like she didn't overexert herself and 
took breaks so she didn't like ruin her, you know, wars and stuff and, you know, gave her a recovery period the next day. So I thought there was a lot of interesting insights into the world of voice acting in that panel. And then after that, we closed off basically our panel visits for the day by doing the Japanese conversation with Abby Tra panel, which ended up being the only panel we did with like one of the main Slayer voice actors. But this was a really cool panel because Abby Trot had experience, you know, with like Japanese, like she's fluent in Japanese. Yeah, she, she passed the uh, end two of the yeah, J yeah, or JLPT. JLPT, yeah. And she went to Japan to the Jet program. She lived there for many years as like a assistant language teacher, but also she started her career in doing kind of acting in Japan through stage shows, through commercials, pop theater commercials, and it was there like she kind of realized she wanted to really do voice acting, but couldn't really find that work there. So she came back to the States and then started into anime voice acting. And it was really cool to experience this panel because Abby, for the most part, just spoke and talked in Japanese. Like, just narrated. Her entire narration of her career journey was just done in Japanese. And no subtitles or anything on the slides. Like, there were like some translations of some terms and words she was bringing up, but for the most part, there was no interpreter, no translator. She was just speaking in Japanese, and this was a panel that was definitely intended for, you know, people fooling Japanese, people who could understand Japanese and respond back to her in Japanese, and so they could practice Japanese with her, have conversations fully in Japanese with her. And that's basically how the panel went, is that when we got to the Q&A section, there were a lot of people in that audience who were just fluent Japanese who were asking Abby questions in Japanese and we responded to them. Sometimes there were some communication errors because of like some differences in like understanding, but oftentimes they were able to break through it out having to go through English. So able to carry conversations and have this two day session in Japanese. But it was still open to people who didn't understand Japanese and just wanted to ask a question to her in English and to respond to those people, you know, with answers in English, but for the most part, you know, it was really cool just to have an experience where she was just communicating the eye in Japanese and they were responding in kind. So out of curiosity alone, since, like, Sakaki and I, like, Sakaki obviously, he translates manga, so he obviously knows Japanese. (laughs) Sakaki can also interpret uh, Japanese Yeah, and like, my, my Japanese isn't great, but I have decent listening comprehension um, so I was able to follow the panel pretty easily. But what about you, considering you don't know any Japanese? I mean, I was just able to follow through intuition and context clues for most things. And, I mean, I wrote notes down to this, to this panel that, I mean, when I perhaps write up the panel report, I can ask you guys for clarification on was this the question being asked? Like, was this like, what she was talking about at this moment? Because I just interpreted things based on the context of what was being asked for and like how she was responding and what I could pick up on. But yeah, like for me, like I was, you know, it was just interesting to witness and see that I kind of understand it. You understand what people are saying like hundred percent. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for me, I guess I was surprised how much of it I did understand. 
Just because, like, I don't usually go out of my way to just, like, watch anything raw in Japanese. So I haven't really had to, like, force myself to improve my listening comprehension outside of just, like, solely, like, doing it for such, like, studying purposes. So, like, seeing it, like, in, like, a real-life setting was interesting. And, like, I think there was only one question where I didn't really follow what the person was saying, and that's because I partially zoned out partway through. But then after, like, Sakaki explained it to me, I was like, oh, wait, this makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, uh, it was the... It was the one about, like, the sexism in Japan. Yes. And uh, then it went into, like, kind of harassment by the police. Yes, it was like, well, there was one black guy who was just kind of, like, asking, you know, how she dealt... Had she experienced any, like, discrimination as a woman in Japan, and you know, kind of relating his experience where he was kind of stopped by police like, randomly, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he, he did clarify straight up that, like, he saw this kind of thing happening to other foreigners. So it's not like he was asked saying, you know, hey, they, you know, he wasn't carrying a beef or it was like, oh, they're purposely coming after me. You know, he, he just kind of said, yeah, I saw this happen. You know, it kind of sucks. How did you deal with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember her answer being like, you know, she's dealt with it, but it wasn't like I forget, uh, she she's seen it, but it's not like a thing that she's like personally had to deal right. with. So yeah. and like, that, that also kind of ties into like another question where like one person asked like, was there any culture shock when you went to Japan? Yeah, and like she didn't really feel that because like partially she she had already been studying like Asian studies yes. and Japanese culture like in college that was one of her majors. Yeah, so like she kind of knew coming in what to expect from Japan. Oh, yeah, yeah, so. It was interesting because there were way more just questions about, I mean, there were a couple of course questions about voice acting, but most of it was just, you know, how was Japan? Yeah. Know, was more about her personally. I think there were a few people in there that didn't even know she was a voice actor. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the way she came in for the, uh, for the panel, like, you wouldn't know that unless you read ahead of time. Yeah. Maybe I could, I wouldn't be surprised if people just kind of slid in just to say, okay, what's going on? And then, you know. Because I remember even one person actually said, like, she's an aspiring voice actor, which is not really true. She's a very accomplished voice actor. Yes. She's she literally voices Nezuko. She sung the freaking Smash Bros. Ultimate oh, opening yeah. theme. Which, which is something I didn't know until you pointed it out. I don't know if it was after we wrote the panel or whatever, but I was like, yeah, because I, I play Smash Bros. in Japanese, so I've... You know, I heard probably heard her sing the theme once when I turned on the game. God, Sakaki, you weeb! <laughs> I turned on when I turned on the game once. Obviously, it's in English, but then you know I wanted to hear the Japanese voices, and I mean, for me, I want to practice Japanese. So I was like, the, any game or something that I can change the menus to Japanese, I'll. You want it. you want to keep the immersion? Yeah, so I do. I mean, at one point, to be fair, with Smash, I did want to change it back at one point. I just never did. <laughs> and now it's just too late. Now it's too, too late. To yeah, it's weird. Now when I go to my friend's house and play Smash, I'm like, oh. What is this English text? <laughs> yeah, it's like, and it's gotten to a point that my friends are just, when they come and play Smash at my place, they're just using Japanese. So I'm teaching them. Well, <laughs> it's like Smash is probably one of the easier yeah, games I mean, to play in Japanese. It's true. It's like, you know, once you know the menus, they're the same place. Battle, fight, <laughs> stop. 
You know, remember, it's not game, it's game set. <laughs> game set. <laughs> I mean, it's still Xander Mobius, but just yeah. he says game set. And I mean, it's fun that he says the Japanese names for the characters. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, when Vilar told me, I was like, yeah, I did remember seeing her name related to Smash. And like, remember what? Oh, so she changed seems the opening. Okay. I mean, I'm going to yeah. probably change my game back to English again so I can hear her, but... Yeah, man, I really wish I could have interviewed Abby Trot at Otakon. Oh, yeah, speaking of which, I had, like, two interviews scheduled for Otakon. And, uh, the one I was supposed to have on the first day was, uh, with an actor, uh, Zach Aguilar, uh, just, just, uh, just, does a small bit role, a Tanjiro from Demon Slayer. Unfortunately, they canceled. Which kind of ended up being a running trend, a lot of voice actors did cancel. Um, which is understandable. It's a weird time to do interviews. Cons are exhausting. People aren't used to uh, having the stamina anymore for them. Um, so yeah, like it was kind of a relief in a way. Because honestly, if I had to do an interview on top of everything else, I think I would be just completely drained by the end of the day. It was a it was a reprieve for who exactly. Because like Sunday we had to wake up extra early to call it, to go in because of your stupid interview that got canceled. I could have been in bed. Well, we can <laughs> get into that now because we were able to go to the explanation of Joseph. True. Yeah, I but we'll get into that later. Yeah. I appreciate uh, getting to go to some of those early panels because you know Saturday we also came a bit late because we took in the train, know, train, metro train. Yeah, but just to wrap up Friday. Yeah, the Abbey truck. Panel was fantastic. That was the last panel of our day. After that, we headed home. Um, I mean, uh, we we didn't head home immediately. I don't think because we did cruise the Dealers Hall. I think for another hour. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think that's when I brought bought the uh, remaining Project Arms. Yeah, because we also wanted to show you the all the manga sections. Right. Right. Yeah. So we we did another exploration of Dealers Hall. Then we left around eight. I mean. If we didn't have to drive back, uh, you know, I was still... There were some panels I was interested in later that night, like uh, Megan from the Monkey Test Drive and Helen from the OSG had the Mongo of the 799 Class 1 for Everyone panel. That was, like, one of the last panels of the night that I was really interested in, at, like, 10.45 p.m. And then, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we couldn't stay that late. Instead, we uh, headed back and then we had dinner at, like, this... Leto's Pizza place that comes very highly recommended from Jekka, and I concur. <laughs> uh, it's very nice pizza, good crust, uh, good pepperoni, very it's nice quality, delicious. Like I, I was pretty hungry and I couldn't stop eating. It was like we almost polished off that pizza. Yeah, the th- main takeaway of this weekend is that Jekka is really good at picking out restaurants. But yeah. I mean, you, you guys are just de- ignoring me, the fact that I took her to these restaurants. Well, she approved them. For all we know, you could be eating trash. But she... Okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, Jekka's high standards are the true society. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to just take that as a compliment because she's dating me and if she yeah, has yeah, high exactly. standards... When you eventually get married, you'll also get the status of Sakaki approved. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'm really, that, that really made me happy, because like, uh, when I took her there, she loved it, and like, then when I took you guys there, I mean, I wasn't like nervous, but I was like, yeah, you know, I, I wonder if they'll like it, and it was really great to know that you like it, because it's, it's a super good pizza, like, it's fresh made, we did have to wait a little while, because it is fresh, and they did, 
Unfortunately, it sucked that the the server was just one lady by herself, essentially. So, like, I mean, they had cooks, but, like, she was running the desk and serving people. So, at first, she was just like, I can't really serve you, but you can sit and eat. So, I mean, and eventually, since it was just us in the restaurant, she ended up, you know, at least bringing us her food box and everything. But, yeah, it, it was super good. I mean, we still had a little bit left over. I actually had, like, a little bit this afternoon while you guys were napping. So, um, but, yeah, and it's still... Still stood up pretty good, even today. I microwaved it, and it was still pretty good. So, yeah, definitely next time, we, if if you're listening, any Lido's fans out there, you know, you should definitely, if you're not in Maryland, you should come and have some. I'm sure that next time uh, Sid and Vidor come back, they'll be ready, then we'll have some more of that. But yeah, that wrapped up the night, and we pretty much just came and collapsed in the bed. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that would take us to day two, where we, yeah. did, we did take the train. We just... We decided to try the train, and that was such a great experience. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm probably biased because I hate one. I hate DC, and two, I don't like driving. So, like, I mean, I'm of course, I'm happy to take you guys driving. I, I have no problem with that. But definitely taking the train was much. It was super painless. Like we got up at a decent time. It took us about 49 minutes. We had one transfer, and we were taken right. We were taking the stop was right in front of the convention center, mm-hmm. so we were pretty much like if I'm to go to Otakon in the future, and let's say you know we all three of us go again, and there are no super early panels, I would fully recommend the train. So, yeah, no, it was super convenient. Yeah, yeah, like even for the early pass, if we woke up on time and scheduled, planned it out. Like I think the train would have been a really good option. It was yeah, pretty convenient. yeah. <clears throat> I mean. Uh, DMV Metro came in clutch for once. Uh, I'm I'm just as surprised as anyone else. <laughs> but, what a guest! Yeah, so that was pretty good. Uh, when so we, when initially we with Saturday morning, yeah, okay. we had intended to do the students there kind of early. I thought we would do this because you know I we Lord Zappy being the host of the Demon Slayer podcast. I thought oh they want to go to this Demon Slayer panel. But yeah. you guys actually weren't that interested in uh, in it. So. Instead, like, you, we had it to the dealer's room. I did go to the dealer's room to take pictures of, like, you know, things for the con report, like the, the manga boots that were there, and then some of the other kind of exhibits, or uh, some of the other interesting things that were there, like the the place where I bought the shirts at, and then also, like, the cool, I don't know if you guys saw it, but there are the cool cosplayers, like the expedition cosplayers, dressed as Lupin and Fujiko in the back, complete with oh, the, yeah, the yeah, model yeah, of like, Lupin's car. The Fiat. Props yeah, and the Fiat. Yes. And that was super cool. And then also, the guy at the booth that had all those like, uh, cars with animated cows on them. Like, I took pictures of that. Like, there were initially inspired ones. There was um, Blazeboo, there was the Blazeboo, there was one of that. And there was Regrettably, a Kenshin too, which I think is fan art for the account, which is a double roof. But yeah, they were interestingly uh, designed, though. It was an interesting exhibition, though. Uh, but then after that, I went to the artist alley. That was basically the only chance I had to do artist alley, and it took me like an hour to to complete my tour of the artist alley. But it was really excellent quality work. I mean, a lot of MHA and Demon Slayer, of course, but really good stuff. I also checked out the art show that was hosting the Artist Valley, which was also really interesting. A lot of cool, like, handcrafted, one-of-a-kind art pieces, and all sorts of different mediums. I really liked, they had, like, kind of this, like, cool bead art, like, 
paintings that were being done that were there. There were kind of these cool, like, straw shades that were made featuring Demon Slayer characters that were there. Cool little statuettes, some cool sketch drawings, cool paintings. There's a really fun painting, which is like six sakuras. It just has six sakuras from different shows, just all in one scene together, under like sakura trees. And that was kind of, that was very cute. So, I mean, our show had a lot of cool stuff in there. Of course, I didn't have time to attend the art auction on Sunday, but there were a lot of cool pieces, and I think it was just cool to tour. Unfortunately, I did not get to see the 18 plus stuff because I never managed to get an 18 plus this thing, but I, I am curious about those two. But yeah, like, uh, the art, the art style was really great. A lot of great variety, uh, and creativity in the stuff there. But of course, my stipulation for Artist Alley is like, I, I prioritize the stuff that I don't usually see represented often and usually Primarily focus on Moko Takahashi related prints and uh, merchant things. But after, you know, recent time experiences, I've kind of weaned off of like Inuyasha related things. Like, I'm still interested in Inuyasha stuff, but because it is so prevalent, you know, I am a little more picky and choosy of like, I'm not going to get every Inuyasha thing that people have. Like, I'm going to just choose the best ones. In this case, there was really only one group that had like a Inuyasha print that I really liked that I wanted to get, and I did get from them, and as well I got their Big O, and their uh, print of the MHA female characters in Class 1A as well, that I thought was very dynamic and cool. I had a lot of the prints, so it was actually hard to choose, like, the ones besides Inuyasha and Big O that I really wanted, because I was also debating between a good print that had, like, you know, Space Dandy and Johnny Bravo together in the crossover print, and then there was one with Spike and Vash in a good crossover print. There's also a separate good Trigon one and a separate good Alpha Star one. But ultimately, I, I thought that the three I chose like stood out to me in the most dynamic and interesting way from that boot. And I also got prints from another boot that had these cool hollow foil prints and a lot of them focusing on Yuri couples. And so I got uh, Yuri Kumarashi print from them, a Revenue Video Ocean print from them, and then uh, Harpa and the Chirosa and Sarah Mink print from them. They just look really beautiful. And then there was a boot that had like uh, characters which I really love. They had like a Lena Inversion Slayers print. Mm. So I got that, and that was great because I, I think I never really seen Slayers represented in Orange Valley, so it was super cool to get a Lena print. And I also got their premiere, two of their premiere prints because I also thought they were cool. I had one just with Leo that was in good style in terms of how they rendered the things, and then one cute one with Leo and Gala. So I like that. And those were the prints I got from there. That was basically it for prints. I technically, in terms of dollar amount, I spent slightly more on some than the dealers, but it was about the same. But yeah, I. I wish, though, my biggest regret in terms of artist alley, like, I'm pretty satisfied with what I got and don't feel like I missed out on too much, but there is one specific thing I missed out on that I wish that I saw share on social media that I wish I'd gone back for and found, because I missed it before. I didn't realize it was there when I toured the artist alley, and I wish I'd gone back and looked for it, is that there's this really cool, like, uh, Lily Hoshikawa from Zombieland Saga, kind of design that is like, shut the fuck up, turfs. 
And like this, they had this on a tote bag. And I wish I had gotten that tote bag. I, I did not see that there when I tore the artist alley, but I wish I had found that booth that was selling that tote bag and got it. Because that looked just so awesome. And I hope that whatever next time I go to, like maybe at NYC, that seller is there and I can get that then there. Because that's a great design and it's a great message. <laughs> and I would have loved to have gotten that tote bag. But I was the one who went to Artist Alley, and you guys never met him. She just spent all your time with you. I, I, I totally meant to go. I mean, yeah. in fairness, I don't usually buy things from Artist Alley, because, like, not because I don't think they're any good, it's just I have no room for anything, and this will lead into the regretful purchase I made. <laughs> <laughs> like, that. that's pretty much what... If one day I get the place, get my own place where, I mean, I have a whole house... Then yes, I will. I will be free from the shackles of my mortality <laughs> and just buy things at random. But right now, I'm really space conscious. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, I I do regret not getting to Artist Alley at least once just to see stuff there because I've seen, I've seen some really great apparel. I'm not so into buying like prints just because I don't have rooms for them, but shirts and stuff, yeah. Because, I mean, the, the Rama shirt that I mentioned earlier at TatsuCon, it was an artist alley. It wasn't in, like, the original. So, yeah. But, unfortunately, I didn't make it there. Yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about more of the Deer's experience? Do you want to go into the panels? Or? Well, I guess uh, I can know what I bought on uh, the second day. Because mm-hmm. it just never ends. Mm-hmm. You bought too damn much. There. Let's go to the next So thing. I found <laughs> a... <laughs> Another uh, out of print uh, Sunday manga, uh, Togari by Yoshinori Natsume. The, between the various uh, different booths, I was able to get volumes 1 through 6. It's an 8 volume series, so that's a good chunk of it. So I was very happy. Um, at one of the booths, uh, I had to get another volume because it was like buy three get one free the long shot anime booth um so i got volume two of one pound gospel so that's one of the volumes that we don't have a one pound gospel and then i I, i've been uh debating about this the day before at the discotheque booth and once i realized that the prices at the discotheque booth were cheaper than right stuff i was like okay i'm gonna go ahead and buy the blu-ray of dear brother because uh that license is not gonna last very long right only a year yeah so Overall, pretty solid set of purchases, less than the first day, uh, which is probably a good thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, since you bought more on the last day. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, I guess just since we're already on the subject of, um, you know, purchases, might as well, you know, compile this into one thing. Uh, day two, I actually got more stuff. I got Super Bomberman 2 on Super, Super Famicom. I'm only one more Super Bomberman game before I own all five. And actually, the person, like, the booth that, uh, Retro, I think it's Retro Man? But anyway, the booth that I got it from is run by a friend of mine, Jimmy Gnome, Gnome oh. on Twitter. So, like, uh, yeah, we've known each other for a while, and in fact, I mean, it's funny, because when I went there and bought it, like, I didn't, I haven't posted any pictures of myself on Twitter or what I'm wearing. But when I went there and bought it, he was like, yeah, it's you. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I know. He's like, he just looked at my purchase like, uh, yeah, you're, you're Sakaki. You have to, I, I can tell from the purchase. <laughs> but yes, I got Super Barman 2. I picked up a, like, novelization of Game Century CX, like, uh, book three. 
I mean, I haven't flipped through it yet, but I've seen them advertised on the show, and it looks like they more or less go through, like, the games that Arena has played during maybe that particular season or a particular number of seasons. Then I got the GameStar CX, like, uh, CD soundtrack, which I have digitally already, but I like supporting Arena, so... <laughs> um, uh, I also got this, like, really dope Cowboy Bebop blanket. I don't need it. But, like, the illustration on it is so cool. And, like, if it had been a poster, I would have broken my... I can't wrestling do it. it. I would have broken my my thing to not buy posters. But it's, like, a really cool print of, like, the Bebop gang. They're, like, standing... There's a bunch of, like, bounties and, like, a movie poster of Ed. Wow. Or Ayn, Ayn, Ayn. A movie poster of Ayn. And it's, like, the Bebop crew, like, jets in a suit. They're all just looking really cool, and it's just yeah. like, I don't need this at all, but it looks so cool that, I mean, hey, hey, one day I might need a blanket, and I can have the stylish blanket to sleep under. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that that was that was a purchase that I don't regret, but what I do is I bought a Neko Musume from um, Kitaro, specifically Kitaro 2018. I only got it because it was cheap on the cheap side, like... Probably because it was Neko Musume and not like a more popular anime character, but I it's it's quite big. It's not super big, but quite big. And I don't know where I'm going to put it, but I'll figure out something, I guess. Yeah, and then ironically, on day three, the, the seller that I got this from, they had a much smaller one on sale, oh, okay. <laughs> and I could have, that would have been perfect because I could definitely have found a place for that one. But it is what it is. I also bought um, a Common Rider O's book, just kind of like a photo book of, I guess, just kind of the characters and the actors in the show, because now I'm definitely getting into like Common Rider, so I felt like it would be good to have some merchandise of it. But yeah, that was my purchases for day two. Nice haul. Good variety of different things. I'm like, you already just bought mine. <laughs> yeah. You bought one anime. Come on. One anime. <laughs> My whopping one anime. <laughs> yeah, but like after that, that is when uh, we went to a panel together and that it was Manga Virus and Carol Nero by Ed Chavez of Pad Soden. Basically a tribute panel to the legacy of Guitar of New York, exploring his life work, you know, from his early days as a up and coming mangaka, and then profiling all the different works he created throughout the course of his career, and tracking his artistic development and development, just as an artist in general. And then also mulling over and looking at kind of the legacy he left in terms of like the people he uh, influenced, the people he helped mentor, the people. Culture relationships with and supported, and in turn supported him throughout the course of his career. And in general, ended with just a great, profound message about just Nora's just great strength of character as a person and how that is reflected in the themes and of his art and the meticulousness of his art, and just how the love and passion for his craft and for his medium. Uh, just shown true and really shown through not just the story you wrote, but also in the way you treated people. And I thought it was just a beautiful tribute to Mira and just a fantastic job uh, done profiling him by Ed and Patrick. So uh, that was a wonderful, wonderful panel. But 
Yeah, I mean, after the Kentaro Miura panel, I guess you guys went back? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is gonna be an ongoing thing. <laughs> yeah, so you guys did that. And I think actually this is probably when I went to Artist Alley now that I think about it. I think I probably was just in the art before. Because I, I also had to have brunch essentially there. So yeah, it's actually after the New York panel is when I went to Artist Alley. But then I returned to panels for the Animago panel. And that was great. I mean, it was basically uh, just a lot on Q&A as well. She did begin the panel by going over, you know, an update on the release of Maddox and, like, how this of this, that is thing with, you know, the bonus features there coming up with kind of the status of the release and how Kickstarter editions are selling out because they're coming out with the regulation. Showing some behind-the-scenes stuff uh, in terms of, like, Communicating with uh, Aramaki, the director in Japan, and you know some notes or bonus features and stuff like that, and stuff that's being worked on. So that's really cool. Uh, that was really cool to get updates, like a director's cut of Maddox and a conjuring track from a director is like coming to that next release, but that's probably not really started until September. But yeah, it was just cool to get those kind of like updates and insights, and then also in general the panel was a good exploration of, like, different stories from Robert's experience of different projects he's been a part of and helped create, you know, funny anecdotes about, like, a title that was uh, an early hentai title that was licensed by CBM that never got released because it was just too racy to the point that Sony's even had to buy the license back from a CBM, and they honestly <laughs> made more money selling the license back to them than they did, than they probably would have selling this without it was a fun oh, anecdote. And a lot of stories like that, you know, was sharing. It was fun stories about the early days of the anime industry, working on these early projects. Uh, a fun anecdote about, like, why did Amigo never license hentai? And Robert would have answered, you know, it's because my mother... You know, she has very high standards for everything, including pornography. No hentai ever cut the grade for her. So that was a fun answer to that question. Uh, a fun moment, uh, like a memorable moment was when someone tried to sell uh, Robert and trying to license Kanoa as we can. I just appreciate that everyone in that audience, including me, that are collective grown and know to that guy. Which, you know, Robert, you know, well, I think you, you've got your answer there. But also making good standing points like they don't they don't chase like projects they don't believe in for shows they are not interested in and they never go for a show they're only interested in making money on anyway. So that you know, there were really good responses from Robert there. And yeah, it was just a really fun using panel for early industry stories. And the panel ended with him basically rewarding like anyone who showed up to the panel with an Uri King edition of a Taco No video with like a special kind of tote bag. Well, not tote bag, like a, a gift bag for them. Uh, that was a Taco No video themed. But then for all attendees, there was also like bubblegum crisis art cards that he gave away, and I was able to collect some of those. So that was really cool. That was a really fun panel and very appropriate to go from you know one panel profile like the early days of the anime industry to 
the big events being of like a big license rescue of an anime classic title from those days, Project Aiko, remastered gorgeously and beautifully by the discotech team from years of that. I mean, that's actually something to talk about in the anime field title, is how Robert would have just, in his search for the masters for Maddox, when he was about to remaster that, like literally the masters for Aiko that, you know, were long time lost or destroyed, that, you know, discotech you know, you know, gave up on searching for him and decided they were going to do in this whole hotter remastering process to get the film to look good instead. You know, Robert just managed to find the masters for Project Aco right next to the masters for Maddox and then called up the discotheque team and let them know just as they finished that other remastering process that he was able to send it their way. It was just funny timing on that funny anecdote. Wow. <laughs> Also, interestingly, Robert mentioned that alongside those Ego matches, he also uncovered a lot of, like, hidden treasures. And when asked about it, he was very coy, like, about, you know, he wouldn't reveal what he found. Like, when he sent over the list of inventory uh, for where they found Ego to the detection, he blacked out a bunch of names of titles that he found. And when asked, like, one of those titles might be the subject of the next Kickstarter campaign, next release. You know, Robert's answer was like a very coy yes. So I'm super curious to see what discoveries he made and what might be that next release of theirs. And yeah, in general, I also appreciate Robert's comments about like the Kickstarter campaigns that they're doing and how they feel like that has been different from a traditional release model and how they appreciate kind of the more community driven interacting with fans to help create like this curated, you know, product for fans. Uh, but also because of that, you know, they're under it also causes the process of production to get delayed in order to include all those extra bells and whistles and stuff and also there's a little more shooting involved in the process. So that was some interesting insights. And also, one interesting comment from Robert that I found was when asked about the status of Eurasiatra, like, what, if they would have any possibility of doing anything with the license in, in the future, like, Robert just sighed and said he couldn't comment or talk about it. So that was a curious comment. I wonder why he, like, kind of had a kind of pensive sigh there when he was thinking about Eurasiatra. So I'm curious about that. that. Uh, what do you might know about the status of that license? So I'm curious. I'm curious, obviously, if you guys have to But yeah, a lot of cool stories, a lot of interesting anecdotes from all this time. But yes, the Project Echo Screening, you know, it's a really awesome film. You know, it was my first time, was it all our first time seeing it? Yeah, I think yes. so. Yes. Yeah, it was a, such a treat, you know, really great throwback. Like eighties sci fi comedy, which, you know, like very obviously Rumiko Takashi inspired. Obviously a lot of crossover staff from Yurisiatsura and Rama went into the, the design the animation staff of the show of this uh, movie and also character design in it, the same shared with Rama. So you really have that aesthetic, you know matching up really well, and also gags, uh, expressions. The sense of humor was just so Takashi, it was so in my wheelhouse, and they paid tribute to that by the fact that in the classroom of Eiko and Miko School, you know, the background characters are basically Yurisiyatsu characters, like, exact Yurisiyatsu characters. I spotted Oyuki and Shinobu and Ryunosuke 
so many Urusiatsu characters cameoing just in the background of the class in the film. And there were also other, you know, 80s franchise references. Like, there was a poster of Madoka from the Lord of Road at one point. And, um, I mean, one of the, one of Biko's lackeys is basically a female Kentro, which is made explicit through, like, a, a specific reference to, like, oh, do you know the South Star Star when she's, like, fighting Eiko? And it's very funny. And yeah, I mean, this entire film is basically a pastiche of, like, kind of 80s franchises and characters and, you know, general science fiction characters. There's a, it's a lot of fun in that way. Like, very much a product of this time, but also because it's such a mix of different influences, it's just, you know, it feels really fresh today. But also, you know, this is the texture master. It's just beautiful. It holds up so well. It looks almost like a brand new film in terms of the quality of the animation and visuals. So, I mean, aesthetic-wise, it looks every day, but in terms of the quality of the animation and the, the colors, just the film itself, it just looks so crisp and so beautiful. So, it was just a true visual tour de force. And I am so excited for that Blu-ray. Because it is just jam-packed with extras. I mean, this is going ahead into the discotheque panel, but they're going all out on this release. And just every aspect of it, in terms of including interviews and trivia, storyboards, production notes, or old trailers to like. Like, it is just a gorgeous release. And even though, like, I don't usually personally buy a lot of stuff on disc anymore, I am definitely collecting that release because they're going all out, including so many incredible extras. I gotta have it. And, it is a film that is worthy of having on my shelf because it's just so damn fun. But, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on April. It's a series of, I mean, not series. It's a anime I've heard a lot about, but I didn't know anything about. So, going into this was, and I mean, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say, the biggest draw for this was the discotheque and the Eiko screening. Mm-hmm. So... Right, and, and this was the premiere of Four yeah. Gaming After. Yes, and it, it was super fun, really good. I mean, being able to point out some of the voice actors at the end, and Atsuko Nakajima being one keyframe artist, that was really cool too. I mean, I had a lot of fun with it. I went from basically knowing nothing about the series to really wanting to pick up the Blu-ray when yeah. it drops. So, like, yeah, I, I mean. It, it's definitely, as uh, Lum said, is a, a product of his time. But I kind of, I think it's just charming enough for it to kind of supersede that. I mean, there's not a whole lot of explanation. The plot things are just sort of happening. But it looks good, you know. They have, like, uh, English language music playing. And it's, yeah. and it's genuinely really good. Like, there was the one song I No, just... I think they're actual English singers. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, well, what I mean is, like, they're not in Japanese. But they're... they're right. Yeah. And Discotex Release actually has interviews With, from yes. like, yeah. some of those singers who are so alive. So that's so cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, they were in, you know, a lot of times when you had those kind of songs, they were, like, hit or miss. But these were genuinely very good. I thought they were catchy. So listening to those songs, um, but yeah, I I'm looking forward to picking it up, and yeah. it, it was wonderful to hear. Like I I love that the the ongoing kind of like refrain from the discotheque people is this destroyed us, yeah. <laughs> but it was a true passion of love because yeah. Brady yeah. Hartel and just the Bacchus, you know, they opened the panel, they introduced the panel, and they both talked about Rachadeko was both of their first anime, and a both means a great deal to them in terms of like. 
their history of it and what it represents to them about what they love about animation as an art form as a medium. And like Brady in particular mentioned like represents part of his relationship with his mom and sharing media with his mom and resonating with them with media with her together and you know, it's a very personal story and in a way like it was on the film was like a tribute to her when she you know, finally had passed away. Um, and then with Justin, you know, it was similarly like a, it was just like a very personal, you know, film for him too. So like I think their love for it shines through in like how far they went to make this film look as good as possible and how far they are going to make this release as premium. Uh, as much of a like fan fest as possible, you know they are they're really putting in all the bells and whistles for the release. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I went in with uh pretty high expectations, and it definitely met them. It was a very beautiful film, music amazing, animation amazing. It's just a ton of fun, and like you can tell, like all the passion that the discotech team has put into it. So yeah. It's, really good, and I highly recommend picking it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm so excited for that Blu-ray. Like, I, I want it. I want to watch that film again. It was so good. But, yeah, the film actually ended a little earlier than we expected. Like, it ended, like, before 5, even, you know, when we bought that to Bob Diddy. That gave us a chance to kind of sit in uh, before the discotheque panel started. And the panel that was happening in the room right before that, which was actually quite good. It was a conversation on the depiction of, you know, different minorities and marginalized groups in Japanese pop culture. Specifically, sort of less than that, but they do touch upon like some live action depiction shows and depiction of, uh, you know, non Japanese characters in those shows too. And yeah, I thought it was a really good panel to just showcasing like why are certain stereotypes depicted in anime and manga? Where do they stem from historically? What are the trends and the representation of different uh, communities, different groups in anime and manga? Like, what are those trends? Why are we seeing them? How have they been evolving over the years? Has the representation gotten better? And I appreciate the broad scope they were able to tackle, and I appreciate like the examples they showed from the a lot of, you know, different types of series. And yeah, I thought it was a really interesting, well-done panel by the panelists who were from the or Anime Rest Stop podcast. So this was a really good presentation. And, you know, I wish I'd exchanged cards with them because they're definitely people that I'd be interested in getting on Mavericks to, you know, talk about more conversations about representation in anime and manga. And I really should have done what I saw why from an anime feminist do at the in the panel where they went up and introduced themselves to them and talked to you know exchanged cards and that with them. So I wish I had done that but we did greet them and did like talking about like, hey we enjoyed the panel but I wish I had done that extra step of like introducing myself and talking with them. But like they were a really interesting group and like Jumping ahead, like we did uh, before, like left of the Conquer Day, step into their Mecha Apocalypse panel, where they were profiling kind of the history of the Mecha genre, and that was also a fun, interesting panel too, with some great examples that I was glad to see, including you know I love the the scene where Char like shoots a cannon at the Sony's eyes. Oh yeah, that, that scene's that. always great. 
Well, I include that because I'm glad, I'm glad they included uh, as an example of the ongoing influence of Mecca uh, on pop culture worldwide, the Taco Bell uh, Mecca oh, anime parody commercial. Right, right. That I, was I, great. I unfortunately missed a lot of the, the their first panel because I had, I mean, I had something else to take care of. But um, I do like I. I really love their energy. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, for the robot, we didn't get to stay for the whole thing since we had to go, but uh, that's a panel I actually, most of the time, I'll admit, most of the con, I was just kind of following around <laughs> and, and alum for whatever they wanted to do, which is fine because I, I typically only go to cons and meet friends and hang out with friends and spend money. <laughs> so, but that's one, so most times if we had to leave a panel early or we got to one late, it was just like, yeah, whatever. But that was one, the robot one I actually would have wanted to stick around for. Not because, I mean, yeah, the subject matter was interesting, but it was their energy. Just the <laughs> way that they just, the presentation of how they, you know, it really felt like you were sitting in a living room with these guys, just kind of like discussing, you know, the TVs on and giant robots are running around. You're just like, you know, somebody's holding a beer and they just went, you know what? Why is it that way? That Shinji ain't right. (laughs) I I just, I I super love that energy. Like, they could talk about anything and I'd probably find it interesting, even if I have no interest in it, just because... Yeah, I mean, heck, I'm keen to check out their podcast and explore more of them. Yeah. I'm definitely not a podcast, as much as I'm doing a podcast, I'm definitely not a podcast person, but I'm tempted to check their podcast just because it goes to show, and that's not to say the other panels didn't do this, of course. I mean, everybody, you, you of course, you're, everybody's different, but it goes to show when you have just the right, the right way of presenting something, you can get somebody into something that they would have never bothered with because right. I'm not, I'm definitely not a giant robot person, but I was riveting <laughs> to them just because they were funny and engaging. Yeah. So they had a great combination of like well researched and thoughtful commentary with like good just lighthearted humor. Yeah, like I mean, just the one guy saying, you know, if Optimus Prime said kill your neighbors, you know, I was just <laughs> I was a kid, you know, and I love anything Optimus Prime said to do, I would have done it. If he said kill your numbers, neighbors, I would I I don't want to do this, but Optimus Prime <laughs> said <laughs> I, I just I just I I love that energy, and I'm really glad you got their name because. I'm terrible at remembering names, but now that you have that, I would definitely check yeah. them out. Yeah, the Anime Rest Stop podcast, definitely yeah. a recommendation from us. Like, we enjoyed both of their <clears throat> panels that we visited at Otakon, and uh, definitely keen to follow more of their work, and maybe reach out to them in the future. Yeah. That was really cool. But, yeah, I mean, sandwiched between that in terms of like, both panels, like, was the discotheque industry panel, like, you know, in terms of uh, industry panel with announcements, like this was one that brought the announcements. <laughs> you could um, arguably say they were the only one with the announcements. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, added, I mean, Benpo's panel did not really have that. Yeah. many announcements, this could have been the only company with the announcements. But yeah, they had a lot of cool updates of stuff they were working on as well as, you know, big new announcements. So they started off with a big one for me. And V Lord with the Tamar Show two blue eye. I, I yelled out loudly, Joe when, <laughs> Finally. when the trailer showed up and I recognized it immediately and I was so excited. I mean, uh we're supposed to talk like the panel started in a fun way and a bunch of clips from the Ninja Robot stuff, which were just wild. Yes. Examples yeah. of that, you know, were shared by Discotech online, but they're just so funny. <laughs> yeah. How does this dub exist? <laughs> uh it's just such a perfect like gag dub 
type from a, from a classic era. Uh, the I, problem, though, is that's not meant to be a gag. You're supposed to take it seriously. It's just really <laughs> right. bad. Well, I think that... I believe they said, like, some of this show is already available to watch on um, Amazon Prime. So yeah, like the first half's on Amazon yeah, Prime. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to check that out later. That seems like a good, like, background watching these myself that show. Yeah, it's funny because the... A Japanese version seems like a legitimately good show, but I'm curious yeah. to watch both versions because that does. The voice acting is so good. Like they know what they're doing in terms of playing with the humor. I think there's, there's one. There's one in the delivery of the the people in this scene where there there's one scene where a guy is asking this girl like if another guy you know was being sketchy around her and the way he was delivering his lines like. Well, you know, he's kind of, you know, you know the, the delivery of those lines. So, like, like, I think they were playing up the comedy in a big way. I think they had some self-awareness in what they were doing. I guess they did a little bit, but also it wasn't a well-made dub. Like, I told this yeah, is a, a well-made dub. I, but like, I told Saki, you can hear the fans in the recording room. Right. They didn't take it through a basic noise canceler. I think the humor was intentional. But... They didn't bother to run it through a basic police canceler. Yeah. So, um, in terms of other announcements, Brady, like, had, like, a fake up on Twitter where he's, like, saying, oh, we're going to announce a sports anime. He had, like, this kind of beach with basketball. And we're like, oh, is this going to be, like, Slam Dunk or Barocos? But then it turned out it was the, sport, the big sports anime we were going to announce was Ruin Warriors. And he actually just made, like, a, a mock-up for the yes. for this joke, yeah. where Ronan Mori is playing ball called Hoop Troopers, and it's a very funny image. <laughs> and yeah, but Ronan Warriors is basically coming to Blu-ray with the English dub for the first with time. With the English dub for the first time, and they shared like kind of a shot of like the premiere timeline of like of how they had the synced audio and like also the Excel sheet of like the different sync rates between different episodes because of the weird ways and how they were caught and how difficult it is yeah. to sync the episodes. It was very interesting. Yeah, so, fun fact, uh, I've kind of known about Discotech working on the Ronin Warriors dub for, like, two-plus years. <laughs> um, so, the guy that they got the Ronin Warriors dub masters from is Jose Argumento, worked at CNN, and he was able to get it at, like, the, uh, Cartoon Network Adult Swim, like, uh, archives, because, like, Cartoon Network stole the tapes for Ronin Warriors, and ever since he got them, like, he kind of ha- went through the process of, like, um, copying them onto, like, digital files. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jose made, like, an entire thread on his Twitter that I recommend looking at, kind of talking about all the hassle that went through it, because, like, I think, like, uh, the Ronin Warriors tapes were, like, B2 tapes, and, like, apparently, like, no one had a B2, like, uh, tape deck, uh, recorder to actually do the transfer. So Discotech and him had to actually buy one, and he had to use it, like, in his, like, own, like, apartment or house. And it was super janky and kept overheating, and it burnt, like, his family table. That <laughs> it had been, like, his family for ages. <laughs> So yes, a table sacrifice to make sure this dub uh could be capped. Yeah. Yeah, it Discotech really works himself right over these difficult, challenging projects. Like not just Ron Warriors, but again, Aver mentioned Echo, like 
that also, we talked about very challenging one to make, but Labor of Love, they're going all out with it. It's probably going to be the best looking classic anime on Blu-ray that there has ever been. So, there you go with that. But, yeah, like, beyond ACO, they announced uh, some Lupin updates. Like, Secret of Pycal has been given a new upscale, so it's probably the best it's ever looked. You mean Return of Pycal? Return of Pycal. Which Who is... cares? It's not a good OVA. No one likes it. <laughs> but, you know, at least it's going to look good. It's gonna I look mean, it's already ever out. done as an early visitor thing. Yeah, it's, it's out. I have it. It's out, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, it's, it looks best it's going to be. Same with Part 3. Like, Blue yeah. Part 3 is going to be the best it's, uh, it's ever looked. I have that pre-order. Part 5, unlike Part 4, is going to be at least in one single bilingual set. So, so to clarify there, when Brady was asking on the panel, initially when they announced Part 5, they were going to do it as two sets. Yeah. Not as English-Japanese split. Right. It was going to be... like episode 1 or 3 and episode, like, 13, 24, or whatever, right? They're going to split it like an half. Yeah. yeah, so it's just one set now. And unlike, also, on my part four, it's not going to be in the Well, yeah, but the initial plan wasn't to Right, I know that, but I'm... You're, you're phrasing it like it was. Whatever. Pedant. <laughs> no, who cares anyway? I care. It's not the most exciting Lupin announcement. The most exciting Lupin announcement, the thing that I screamed at, I, I was happy that a lot of the people screamed at too. Was when they played this tr- this clip, and we see walking and approaching Jigen, our very own Conan Aragawa, and when he spoke, he spoke with Randy Lee's voice, and we're confirmed that they are dubbing. Newborn heard where's his head going the movie, and I am so excited because I love that movie. I, I love these a crossover. And I'm really excited to have it on Blu-ray with the dub. And I know they said they've been, they have, like, they like, planned to do it on Blu-ray for, like, three years, but they kind of kept it on hold because they said, oh, we're going to freeze it up. So I'm glad that finally it's out. And I know there have been, there were leaks that this dub was going to come, uh, for a while now, but I'm glad to have it confirmed. I was really excited when that clip was played and very excited to collect this Blu-ray when it comes out. But also they announced that Mono is coming to Blu-ray, Mr. Mono, and it's going to have all four uncut English dubs, so that's also exciting. Yeah. I think the DVD also had all four, but yeah, yeah. it's on Blu-ray now. I was surprised they didn't go for the 4K Blu-ray, because that's in Japan, but I have a feeling the 4K Blu-ray is probably just a pain in the ass to work with. Mm-hmm. Other announcements include uh, Sayuki Reload, that's getting an SD Blu-ray, both Dub and Sub will be on there, That'll come out uh, late 24 or 22. Then they they announced a big Tokusatsu license that I was excited for, like Cutie Honey the Live, the Tokusatsu Cutie Honey series. That's all coming to Blu-ray. I'm so excited for that. Like, but still, I've heard about this one before. Like, I've heard good talk about it and it's how it handles characters and like how it handles like these translate the aesthetic of Cutie Honey into live action. So I'm excited for it. I, I can't wait to watch it. And, you know, the opening was just great for you know, live action TV honey. So that was exciting. They gave some updates on their dubs for Black Rusher and Future uh, the OVA. So those are coming along pretty well. Ninja Robots, as mentioned before, 
They are almost complete in together. They're just missing two minutes in episode 34. And they don't find it. Brady's going to do it himself. So either way, I think I'll be satisfied. Yeah, I feel like it's already a train wreck, Dub. Just add some uh, Brady commentary in between. Tragically, they shared a story about like one of the people where they got like the tapes from, uh, like their parent, like trashed one of their um, old player, OEHS player of theirs that had a tape in there. Which, so, for one thing, do people not check what's inside these devices before they throw it as away? As I shared with you, uh, Lauren, like, I mean, first of all, when we were clearing out our... Okay, but that, that was that was for Pokemon cards, though. But even then, like, uh, for, like, for VHS players, we played, yeah, I mean, I don't think we checked that there was any disc in there. We were trashing them, so. Yeah, I mean, pe- people should uh, realize how valuable these things are. Yeah. Anyway, they announced a show that really got no excitement from the audience earlier for it. It was more of a modern show. It was only two years ago. It was kind of like crickets, straight events. Even they kind of like just brought it up and moved on. Like, they weren't really excited for that because what they were really excited for was the next game, which is the, you know, 4K, uh, Ultra high def version of Robot Carnival. You could just say 4K Blu ray. Whatever. Robot <laughs> Carnival, you know, high def Blu ray. 4K Blu ray Robot Carnival. Whatever. Man, simple. That's all it is. Anyway, like, it's gonna look really good, but it needs to be complemented with the Blu rays, because, like, a lot of the bonus features on Blu ray can't be transferred over to the, to the new. Yeah, essentially, 4K blurs are kind of a pain in the butt to make, and they're kind of more limiting on what you can do. Yeah. So the rendering need, times are also a nightmare. So you need both so discs. why would you want one? <laughs> because of the resolution quality. It still is very pretty to look at, but, like, you really can't do much more than just, like, have the film itself. Like, if right. you want extra goodies, which... I feel like most people that are getting 4K Blu-rays are just caring about the show or the film. It's worth it for just, like, having the content. But if you want extras with the content, that's not what a 4K Blu-ray is really good at. Yeah. Well, anyway, you need both. It seems up the ideal of a carnival experience. And so what we thought would be the last announcement based on how the panel is going was this Machine Robo uh, release, like the first time it's ever been given the sub-release. And this was one people were excited for, like, wow, cool, finally make a show that people have wanted for a long time. That would be super satisfying. But that was not the end, because they they just blew us away with the last They one. pulled the usual when Smash the trailer, Bros. one last thing. When the trailer started off, people were like going, no way. They were screaming. People were freaking out. The entire room was just enraptured, eyes fixated on the screen as they saw the Gunbuster rise up and just this big intro scene from Gunbuster play and it just played for a good two minutes. It was like a magic trick because we were all transfixed on the screen. We were all entranced. So much so that even though we were sitting in the front row, the three of us personally, even we didn't notice the folks from Sound Cadence get up on stage with the discotheque team. Did you guys not notice it? No, I, I didn't notice it. I, my, I noticed it. I noticed, well, like, a I lot of people didn't notice, <laughs> okay. myself too, because we were just paying attention to what was on screen. But then we turned our attention 
to back to the stage and saw the sound cadence people and saw see all them announce that yes, not only is Discotech releasing Gunbuster on Blu-ray, but they're doing it with a brand spanking new English dub with the folks from Sound Cadence. And it's coming out from Jimmy Two. And that is very exciting. Gunbuster was another white whale of anime license re-rescuing. Discotech has delivered again in a big way. People were freaking out on on Twitter. It was trending. People were like going crazy. Like people were just so excited, so happy. It was just a wonderful thing. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I, I haven't seen Gunbuster. I definitely want to watch it because, like, I, I definitely have become far more interested in Otto's work in recent years. And I don't want to watch the compilation film. I, I don't. I don't really care for compilation films. So yeah, having the actual OVAs license is nice. And uh, having a dub is nice. And hopefully after that they'll also dub uh, Die Buster, Gunbuster 2. Since like, Discotech has that, but it's only DVD only, so if you get a nice Blu-ray and a dub for that, it would be it all, it'd all neatly work together. And we'd all be in harmony. And the world would be at peace. Maybe. I, I admire the energy. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was pretty hype. I, I mean, I don't know much about this series, but I know a lot of people love it. I mean, even if I didn't know a lot of people love it, I would have learned looking at Twitter. Yeah. And the reaction, like, I haven't been in a room at a con with that kind of reaction since um, Romare. Oh, yeah. my God. It was riveting. So. It was just shared community for in that town. Yeah. Yeah. So it was truly a special event to be there in person for. But yeah, and that was a. It was not the finale of our Saturday because, you know, we still ended up by going to that Bankopolis panel from the Anime Rest of the Guys afterward after having a really nice dinner with Helen of USD and AMA Liz. Like, she was just reaching out after this guy panel, like, hey, any uh, mutuals? And folks said, every time I grab dinner, and I was like, hey, yeah, let's go grab dinner. You know, you're cool. I follow your work and stuff. And yeah, we just had a nice time. Uh, we went to, what is that chicken? Nando's. Uh, we went to Nando's, which had like some Otakon special for, like, you, they would be staying up late night with a special menu, but obviously we went to Nando's well before they put that special menu in effect. But we want to try it anyway, because Jekka was so high that they committed to it. Like, Jekka made a point of adding us. At adding us saying like, hey, you should go here. So yeah, we, we went there and we had a, 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 a little long wait. Like initially, I thought if we had left after this Quebec panel, we could come back in time for a panel I was really interested in, which was the Manga Spire King podcast guys's um, insane manga challenge uh, game show panel. But we got the food like basically at the same time that panel had started. So we, of course, we did not have time to attend that. Yeah, it was about, it was really packed in there, like super, they were super busy. It was like, um, probably a half hour away from the time we ordered to when we got the food. So, but it was, it was really good food. Like, I got a sandwich and I thought it was super juicy chicken and, um, like the garlic bread kind of bun to it was really nice. Like, I really liked it. It was super flavorful. I definitely would love to try there again and try the different types of their chicken. Yeah, I got, like, the half chicken, and, like, I liked it. Um, 
it had a lot of bones as you'd expect because it's yeah. like literally a half chicken. So I probably would get something that's more probably like just focus on breast and maybe even just like a just a sandwich. Even. I'd either get a way... thick cut of yeah, the meat on that sandwich. Yeah, I mean, I'd either get something boneless or wings, like sakaki got. Yeah, I got wings. But, I mean, I've had I've had mambos before. My sister introduced them to me, so I knew them before uh, Jekka, But at this point, we really should just have her come. We should drag her to the next Otakon. That's what, that's what I'm <laughs> yeah. thinking now. But yeah, Shokugeki no Jekka. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, so if you're listening to this, honey bunches, come to the next Otakon with us. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, uh, the the wings were super good. I've had the wings before, and they were really good. I mean, I think next time I would want to be a little bit more explorative since I've had those before. I've heard the half chicken's good, but I just was like, it's the end of the night. I know we were probably going to head home. Like, well, not probably, but we were going to head home soon after that. And I mean, even though we were on the train, I definitely didn't want to fall asleep on <laughs> the train, get the itis. <laughs> so... Like, at least not until we got to the, we made the connection and then, you know, came back. So I just said, well, let me keep it light. Mm. So. Yeah. It was satisfying, though. I, I admit, I could have eaten a little more. So. <laughs> should have gotten more, though. Yeah, I mean, we had already left the restaurant. <laughs> you should have gotten more in anticipation. I, I don't know. Like, now, I know better for, now I know better for next time. But it was you know, really nice food and really wonderful just to, you know, chat with Helen about all sorts of things about, you know, the pie experience and, you know, local eats in D.C. and all sorts I, of good stuff. I had no idea that she lived with Well, I didn't really know her in fairness until today, but, like, yeah, it's interesting to meet some... This, through this con, I would definitely say knowing that I know so many people that live kind of near me is, is kind of interesting. Like, yeah. now I can actually have friends and do it. <laughs> so like yeah that was kind of fun uh but yeah i i think that pretty much wraps up yeah it's basically our saturday i mean I, like mentioned before we went back to the con center for a little bit for the Metropolis panel mm-hmm. just for about a half hour because like our train home wasn't coming till nine fifty, so we had some time to spare to catch uh- that so we caught that for about half an hour and we went home, and then uh, we mostly just went to sleep. I mean, I watched a little bit of the Harley Quinn marathon come out, and then both days after a few episodes. But yeah, that was Saturday, and now we're heading into the final day, Sunday, which, you know, compared to the other days, is more of a half day, so, you know, not as much to talk about the room. It's still pretty packed. In terms of, like, uh, the amount of panels that at least I personally visited, like, it's about com- comfortable to previous days. Like, I still got a lot out of it. Hopefully, because we did get in early on yeah. Sunday. Before we get into Sunday, one thing that we uh, forgot to mention just about the kind of experience, though, was, um, well, actually, on Friday, a few things. On Friday, like, we also just visited the Chuck Shandy Memorial exhibit, in honor of, you know, a long time Otakon attending Chuck Shandy, you know, passing away. And you know, it was a cool tour of Otakon history and its growth as a con, the different locations it's been in, different examples of like commemorative shirts and badges from different eras of the con experience. And I thought it was a wonderful tribute to Chuck and also just a wonderful tribute to kind of the history of Otakon. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought that was really cool. I also appreciated the rainbow tube art piece that was 
connecting the both floors of the con. You could, you could actually like walk down Stewart. Like there was a staircase through the rainbow too that you could walk through. And that was really cool. We only really did that on the first day. Uh, when we're going down from the food hall on the first top floor to the bottom. But I really thought it was a really cool structure, a really cool piece of art. And uh, it was it was a fun, like, kind of landmark in the convention hall space. And there was, in general, some cool art all around the museum center, too, that I really appreciated. But the main thing I also, also uh, kind of wanted to touch on was just cosplayers at the con, like the cosplaying scene. And our thoughts on that. I, I thought there were a lot of cool variety of cosplayers. So I ended up seeing a lot of Chainsaw Man, which I appreciate. It was a great Kobetti one, complete with the fast food platter and everything. Um, there was Makamas and Towers and Ninjis, of course. And, yeah, I mean, any other standout ones? Oh, I want a really standout cosplayer was someone who created this really cool tentacle dress. I think Sakaki took a picture of them too. Yes. Like, okay. But they, they had a really cool dress. Yes. Uh, there's a cool Jairo Zapelli cosplayer was on the last day. There were a lot of cool ones. Uh, any other standout highlights that you guys have to Um, there were a few Kiros that I liked, I guess. Yeah, like. <laughs> the Chicago Kiros? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm looking through. I'm looking through my right now. But yeah, you know, I the first day I didn't take any, but the second day I tried to slow down and take a bit. I mean, now I'm being a little bit more particular. <laughs> I know I really shouldn't be, but it's just, it's just cosplay. But like, I, I don't want to just see another Luffy. Like, like, give me a Luffy derivative. Give me Afro Luffy. You know, like <laughs> an um, Afro Luffy would be so. Like, I mean, I've seen those, I've seen them before. I, I mean, I don't want to just see Goku. I want to see Kid Goku or something, you know, something like new. You know, I don't want to just see like me. Anybody could do a main character, but like, I, I want to see, uh, you know, alternatives. Like, I found, uh, I found somebody that did Soul Eater, but like, it was a dress. It was like Soul's outfit, but instead it was, you know, kind of a, dress kind of thing instead of like the normal one. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's, I found one, I found something like that that was kind of cool. I found Carmen San Diego. We don't have to look for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let me see. And yeah, I found Manami, um, JJK. Like, this guy did a really good job with it. He nice. has like the paddle. Um, yeah, I, I saw a few Nobras around. I, 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 I found one. There was a really good Yuji on mm. Saturday, but they were buying stuff, and I always don't like jumping in on people when they're trying to buy stuff or, like, do stuff. And by the time I could catch up with them, they had gone, so... I mean, I did find Mikey from Tokyo Revengers. I saw a mm. couple of Tokyo Revengers, so... Mm. Um, let me see. Actually, one thing I was surprised to see was a lot of, um, slime. Maybe that time slime? I... Yeah, that yeah. time I was, uh, was reincarnated as a slime, I found quite a few of them. Like... I found Antenna. So, Psyche. Psyche's always one that I'm always amazed to see because you never really hear about Psyche. But, like, I, whenever I go to cons, there are lots of Psyche cosplayers. So, it's one of those really quiet fandoms. Yeah. I guess it, it, it doesn't help that it's been, it's over now. There's no more. But, like, people really enjoyed that. And normally comedies aren't, like, big. Well, no, I should I take that back. Like, a comedy like Psyche that's very dry, isn't it? But apparently people really do enjoy it, so... 
Named Boa Hancock, I found. Oh, like, yeah, not Hanako was another one I found, like, quite a few of. Nice. Especially Nene. Oh. I, cool. I actually, I found, like, two Nene. One, I forgot the other kid's name. I actually didn't see any Hanako himself. Huh. But I found Nene, the other kid with the staff. I found two. Paul? Yeah. I found two of them together. And then Saturday, I found just a Nene. But, like, yeah. Um, Way of the House Husband. Yeah, I uh, saw one too. Um, of course, Yakuza. I found, I, there was one where I found like a, um, Aoi and Shinobu. But, and then like, I guess they had Inosuke with them and he was like buying stuff and then he like was behind me <laughs> waiting for the picture to be taken. I'm like, yeah, cool, I'm in Inosuke, so he joined in. Yeah, so, I saw a few Demon Slayers. Yeah, oh, I found like a super, like, not just Demon Slayer, but I forgot their names, but like, Muzan and like the oh nice Muzan and then um oh yeah the the Tamari demon and Aaron yeah. yeah like that's the kind of stuff I look for like yeah. anybody can just be Luffy or Ichigo or somebody but like characters that don't get that kind of same representation like those are the ones I go hunt down for uh but yeah there there was a lot of really good cosplay like and. The one thing I will say too is like everybody was really, I didn't find anybody who's like like really just like I don't want my picture taken or uh I to stop what I'm doing and everybody was really, really kind. They were just like if I asked for their picture, they were like, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Nice. Oh, Pito. <laughs> and uh one of my other favorite ones was I saw a couple mm, of Toros, but never nice. the two of them together. <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah, it, it, the cosplay was super good, and I I do really like having the cosplay threads. I mean, even if they're not super noticeable on Twitter, I just like that. That's my way of showing that yeah, I'm at the con, I'm doing stuff, you know. <laughs> like, because since I don't usually cosplay, but I mean, Jekka seems interested in cosplaying at some point. I don't know who should be. Ooh, She's, ooh. She, I know somebody from Conan, but I forgot exactly who it was. Ooh. But like, yeah. She seemed interested in doing it, and so I mean, hey, if, I think it might be Hakuba. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I think it might be Hakuba, but I mean, she was an initial correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but like, yeah, she did seem interested in doing it someday. But yeah, I mean, I guess if she does it, maybe I'll pull a Heiji. The best choice, yes. But yeah, um, Sunday, I will, you know, the. We kind of, V-Lord went to, to his canceled interview. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Lum and I went to, uh, Intro the, to Jose So, I was, I was just like, I don't want to go to the interview. <laughs> because, like, what am I going to do? Stare at you for 10 minutes while you talk yes. to somebody? You're no. going to awkwardly stare at me. No, I'm not going to do that. So, I was just like, I don't have anywhere else to go. Let me go to Jose. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Yes. I am actually really happy. I mean, I even told Lum this. I am glad I came here with you. For this one, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Like, yeah. I was really interested in Al, and the presenters did a wonderful they job did. exploring the history and development of Jose as a kind of market for you know, uh, adults, uh, manga for women, and yeah, like also just a variety of different types of Jose manga, different you know stories in the category. Like, I thought they did a great job highlighting some great examples. Like, it was a really, really excellent over, really, really informative. Oh, yeah. Like, the presenters, Mackenzie and Aaron, did an excellent job. And I, this time, I did the, the responsible networking thing of, like, I was talking to them after the panel, like, exchanging cards. I was like, 
hey, you know, you know, we are interested in doing overviews of Joe Samanda and covering on the show. We'd love to have your perspectives on him. And, you know, yeah, I'd love to have him on if you'd be interested. So, yeah, like, they're, they don't really have that much of an online presence. They, like, uh, are kind of a local kind of group that, you know, they go under the cosplay tutor. Uh, so they mainly specialize in cosplay related, you know, activities and they also just do panels. But I think they have just great expertise and a lot of knowledge on Jesuit. So I'd love to talk to them more about it. But also I recommend like if you're on the East Coast can attend one of the panels, especially with Andrew Jesuit panel. Like it's a great time. I definitely oh, yes. recommend it. And this is this is coming from me that I I I'm not gonna say I have no interest in Jose, but I don't know anything about it or anything. And I had a great time. Like some of the series descriptions were amazing. <laughs> like the, the the secretary one, where she's like she's just a secretary that's really badass at her job, but she's secretary to a vampire. Yeah, and like, yeah like that was was really good. And then Pink, which was the one where it's like she's Pink is a favorite. I've I've read Pink like, and I, I was a early Marjorie fan. I think. Maybe not early, but I read it like long ago. It's so good. I mean, we own Pink, don't we? Of course, we own Pink. Like, yeah. I love that one. Yeah, it, it is. And it is as they describe it, it is as wonderfully wild as they describe it. It, it has a melancholy amazing. I want to yeah. read that. Like no. it's it's a woman who's like she's like her. She has a secret life as a prostitute and she, to to support her. Alligator, <laughs> and then she just feeds the dudes that she sleeps with to this alligator, yeah. and it's just ah, oh, I want to read that. I do. Kyoko uh, Okazaki <laughs> draws some just great titles. Like Pink is great. Uh, all our work is just so great. Also, the night secretary Shogaku gone. Oh shit! I have more censorship. <laughs> I think it's still licensed by Biz. Okay. Yeah, I think the secretary is in the same thing. So you can find it easily. Okay. That'd be something I would want to read. But yeah, I, w- I was really glad. That was the correct choice. Well, I think then you guys once again went to the dealers. Uh, well, I went to the industry roundup panel, which uh, started 15 minutes late because of the communication error on the part of my higher-ups to the staffers. Um, and it turns out, uh, all the industry roundup panel was, is like, probably a 10-minute reel of trailers for shows that were already airing and just promoting <laughs> them and the merch associated with them. Like, they were mostly idol shows that were being ordered in the reincarnated as Lion Season 2. So that was the very uh, awaited industry panel for what it was worth. No hosts, no presenter or anything. That was the big confusion. It's like, the staffers were thinking, oh, is there going to be a host? Is there going to be somebody to present these videos? Uh, but then they found out, like, oh, no, they're just supposed to play the damn video from the laptop and just leave it be. So that was a funny incident. But, again, that's what I love uh, about the staffers, that they have a good sense of humor about everything. They're able to communicate, like, things to the audience, like, in a very well-done way and to have a good rapport with the audience and we can bounce jokes off each other and joke and just get into a nice chat. Like, after, you know, the pan- the video was done, we basically just, you know, were filling time in the room. Like, we just got into chat about, like, how the con has been and how short-staffed they were, or, like, kind of the old price lunch options at the con. Uh, just talking about some of the, the stuff from yesterday, like the echo screening. You know, like, just, you know, it was 
chill vibe, like, even though the, the, the panel itself may have been a disappointment. But for me, I'm glad I'm, I did go because I was able to catch Lai there and, you know, chat and say hello uh, to them, which was nice because I did see them, like, earlier, you know, at the discotheque panel, like, actually after, I mentioned before, after the diversity and anime panel, like, I did see them talk to the anime rest up guys, but I wanted to wait to approach them after the discotheque panel. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't cash them for that. So it was good that I was able to to greet them and like just chat with them a little bit. It was really cool again, you know, to meet someone whose work I'd followed for just so many years. It was a really nice thing. Oh, oh yeah, I also met Fry like yeah. in the press lounge when I was like waiting for uh, the Abby Shot interview that never happened. <laughs> and you met Sam there too. Right? Yeah, I met Sam from Anime Herald as well. Um, so yeah, that was nice. We had a kind of just a short kind of conversation. Um, and then we just kind of, uh, joked about kind of, uh, all the ongoings of interviews and stuff. So <laughs> it, it was nice. Yeah. That's cool. And then, yeah, we went to, I went to dealers to find you guys and, uh, got those other two shirts for that one booth that I wanted, basically. And then quickly grabbed lunch and then I skedaddled out of there so we make the, Yasuhiko Yoshikazu panel by Megan on the line of test drive. I guess, do you have any other thoughts about dealers on Sunday? Or? Um, I guess I'll just quickly say what I got. <laughs> um, so, in case you're wondering about more manga, mm-hmm. I might have a problem. Send help. Maybe. Um, but I, uh, decided to pick up another, uh, old Sunday manga. Um, this time it was Kurozakuro, also by Yoshinori Natsume. Um, I picked up volumes 2, 3, 5, 6, and 7. It's a 7 volume series in total, so I'm still missing 2 volumes, and technically this is licensed by uh, Mangamo now, or at least they have it available from whoever has the license now. But that release has a different localization, and uh, the lettering in it isn't as good, in my opinion. Um, it's very, very basic. Um, so I kind of do want the Viz release for novelty's sake, and just to honestly compare the two, because I like comparing different localizations now. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll probably pick up the other two ones at some point. And uh, also something that I also picked up since I got this at a place that I was doing by three, got one free. I picked up volume one of Dragon Voice by Yuriko Nishiyama. Um, Nishiyama is mainly known for Harlem Beat. That was like a fairly long-running uh, basketball manga in uh, Weekly Shonen Magazine. It ran for about, I think, 29 volumes? Something like that. And I own all of Harlem Beat. Um, so I thought, okay, might as well buy the first volume of Dragon Voice and see how it is. So yeah, but that's kind of everything I bought, which is probably a good thing, because I need to find some way to pack all this. God, you guys even started packing? No. Uh, yeah, when, when would we have had time? True. But <laughs> I nice. technically could have probably done it when we came home before we had dinner, but... We'll figure it out after this if this doesn't last long. Kind of, the gang going on the Yeah, that's where we were sitting there. 
Yeah, let's, let's get through this quickly <laughs> okay. so we can sleep. <laughs> okay, well, so... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 I was just going to say, okay, yeah, sleep. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, I didn't really, I mean, I actually really wanted to buy something. <laughs> I really wanted, I got something for somebody, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> they will find out what that is, hopefully, if I can mail it tomorrow. And, yeah, I got Jekka a Hanako shirt for once. She's, she's our resident Sundere, so... She actually said she wanted it, which is so I didn't have to pull a bunch of teeth to ask. Which means she really wants it. <laughs> yes. So like I got that for her and Yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, then you guys texted me and let me know where you were, so I was like, Alright, I, I guess it could be I mean I did want to get one more thing for myself, but I couldn't think of anything, so I was like, yeah, it, it, it's probably a sign I need to stop spending money. So then yeah, then I joined up with you guys and yeah, <laughs> we went to the wonderful World of Jazz panel, or the panel uh, overviewing the career of Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, who, you know, is a legendary director of various anime projects, also, like, the characters I know, Gundam, like, he's animator and season mangaka with just so many titles under his belt, and he's directed so many films adapted of his own manga, too. And of course, he's best known for Gundam, the original. I mean, he was the original designer for Gundam to begin with, but also been entrenched with the franchise from day one, illustrated writer of so many of the novels, including Unicorn. And yeah, Origin is like probably among his magnum opuses, if you can add more than one. It is beautiful, it is incredibly drawn with the manga, and uh, I love it, and the adaptation of it in anime form. But, yeah, I mean, his career is so fascinating, like, just the roots of it, like, the different series he worked on, like, just the different manga he's worked on in particular were such interest to me, especially, like, some of the titles that were bought over here, and, you know, maybe out of print, but can be searched for, or those are ones I'm going to dig up, because it's not really interesting, especially the title, Joan, that helped, that Megan mentioned, like, was, like, really beautiful, like, the artwork, like, she it was striking. I am super interested in what the premise and art of that one. So, yeah, like, a really cool overview of this, like, just incredibly accomplished and prolific and versatile artist who has done so much in different projects. And I, like, Megan's panel did a great overview of what makes his work unique and special. And really made me want to check out all the projects of his that I haven't seen yet and read all the monsters that I haven't read yet. And it was really excellent. And it was also, again, cool to meet Megan in person. Like, we were also in the same spaces pretty much throughout the entire con. So finally, it was just nice to, like, uh, get a chance to meet her face to face and just exchange pleasantries for a bit. And it was, it was nice to meet her. It was, again, like, this is a nice thing. It's just a, to meet people in person. Like, uh, there was another guy who was really who also, you know, we met around there, I think, uh, Old Maniac, I think. What's his name? So like that. Yeah, like, I, I also follow him and see him around on Twitter. Like, it was, it was cool. Like, cool congregation of folks who just know in the space and you can meet in person. It was cool. Yeah, we did say that's also true of George Horror Pounds. I'm so excited to finally get to see one of George's panels in person after enjoying like his online versions of panels for so long and enjoying his blog for so long. Like, George is a great uh, historian of obscure anime projects 
uh, for, you know, underrated forgotten titles. And he did a great historical overview of uh, failed anime licensing companies in the U.S. market, or otherwise known as companies that knew nothing about anime fan yes, art. that's the one. Uh, a wonderful quote referencing a, a slogan of Bandai Visual, where they claimed in one of their panels um, or their slides that they knew anime fan wants, and clearly they didn't because they did not last. But that was a, such a fun panel. Like, it, it began was. with this playing some fun old trailers, like some Looney Tune trailers for Beat the Banana Buster and those <laughs> And then, like, the tra- trailer for Light, for Saint Seiya action figures, that was licensed with Knights of the Zodiac. Uh, English language trailers for shows that were not actually dubbed into English. They were Japanese produced English trailers for, like, Beat X, they feel the beat. Yeah, Beat X. Beat X was great because they really went all in on like the idioms for. They they really one. wanted you to know how to spell the title. Yeah, which to be fair, I didn't know how to spell the title for years. Beat X, they've got yeah. the beat. It's not BTX, not Bit X. It's Beat X. <laughs> and these trailers were long too. Like, yeah, even like a couple minutes long. Like Sexy Commander was the other one. That one has never been licensed or dubbed. Like at least BX has been licensed and dubbed at this point. Sexy Commander has never been. But these were nineties English language trailers for these shows that the Japanese producer just made. But yeah, like George reviewed a lot of interesting failed companies. And the reasons why they fizzled out and some of their interesting releases. And I appreciated how frequent Bobo appeared in this panel. Like, Bobo really bounced along a lot of failed uh, licenses, teams that really finally landed with this deck. So that was kind of a funny true line to this. And of course, the big finale of the panel was Crimson Star Media, which George had such a great fit. Uh, of rage when he got to that side. He was like, no, 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 I quit. And he went very theatrical with it. It was a fun performance. And his slides were great, too. Like, when talking about the story, including, you know, what is the moral of it? Don't license Anna using your certain loans. A big, bold, underlined text with a bevy of exclamation marks. Like, three lines of exclamation marks, basically. It was just so funny. It was so great. So, it was such an entertaining, interesting, informative panel. I loved it. I mean, I really enjoy George's writing and his historical views to begin with, but just to experience over the panels was great to do in person. And I actually ended up winning uh, some Gunbuster 2 DVDs from uh, Honey Amaze uh, during the trivia prize break. And uh, a perfect question for me, too, like answering what was a company that licensed Bobo? And I answered just more entertaining, but yeah, like, I mean, there are four different answers for it that would have been acceptable. Wait, and, aren't the Diebuster DVs the Bandai Visual set? Uh, and these are from Mahoney Amaze, which is, yeah, like, same as Bandai Visual. Oh, okay. It all blends together because they're all bad companies. <laughs> right. It was in. Like, license anime with student loans, but still. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I knew the story of that particular 
publisher, Crimson Star Media. I knew some of these stories already. Wait, so did he get banned from the con because of... Uh, uh, he had a previous yeah, charge, yeah. and so... Was it because he, of the fraud scanning, or was it something no, else? It much was something worse. much worse. Oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, George was coy with it, too, but he, he said, like, you can pro It was at an anime con, you can probably guess. Yeah. I guess? So, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, let's see what happens. No, you can, <laughs> I mean, you can learn more about the story. Like, AMN did a podcast, like, exploring this sorted story years ago. But I can just link you for more information on that. Because it's a, it is an interesting story. It's like the story of Crimson Soul Media. But George, you know, again, he really knows how to put on a great show. Provide a great history overview. And I think pretty much, uh, everyone in the manga, Twitter, anywhere community really came out for this one. Like I saw Mike Tool was front row for this one. I think everyone we knew that was there at the con was there for this panel. Mm-hmm. And it was a really fun time. Like we didn't get to say and like just read everyone, but I was glad to finally like get to say hi to George in person. So that was really nice. Uh, and yeah, it was cool again to just see and interact with people, like, you know, we interact with online a lot, as you know, with all the work online a lot, just in person. I just really like that. Yeah, he was another one with, another presenter with, like, energy that I really appreciate. I unfortunately came in a little bit late, so I missed the beginning, but yeah, just, just the theatrics that he put on there, it was just really good. He's somebody else I would love to follow. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love George's work and look forward to even more of his panels. I hope I can get to turn another one live in person one of these days. But yeah, I mean, that brings us uh, to the last panel we did. Like, I wish we could have attended uh, Helen's, like, uh, Shoujo You Should Know panel, but it was stacked up against uh, just a really interesting panel for Mornings that I really wanted to go to. And that was Orange's kind of premiere of one of the short films home that they did as part of one of their anime Otani training programs for the young animators. And yeah, it was a really interesting short film. Basically it was set in kind of like this like space colony essentially or it's like this planet in which like a spaceship has kind of crashed. We have one astronaut who's kind of landed here to explore the wreckage. Unfortunately, all the passengers uh, of the ship kind of died in an accident. However, he encountered briefly the ghost of one of the girls who were who died on that ship, and you know she, she's kind of like this lingering on the ship, and there's like a virtual kind of um, a holographic kind of environment to it. And the film is just really interesting in terms of like uh, how experimental they're playing with with you know uh, different perspectives uh, different types of action environments movements and textures so you can really tell like they're truly trying to experiment with the capabilities of their programs and their modeling so i thought that was really interesting and they did some really cool uh, work in that regard and i thought the story was good too because essentially you know the astronaut guy he starts to form somewhat of a relationship that he's, he's afraid of this ghost girl but like when he like try leaves her uh, at the ship and she can't leave the ship because you know her spirit is like resting there, it's tied to her corpse. You know he starts to think about like uh, and sympathize with her situation and then goes back to her and says, "Hey, let's go home." 
And he, like, basically takes all the corpses of the people on that ship and, he, you know, puts them in coffins and he, like, shifts them off back to Earth uh, on a spaceship. And even though his own time on Earth, uh, his own, like, time on the planet, uh, his own supply, it might he might be putting his life at risk in order to do this. But it's just a gesture, you know, of humanity for him to send these people's corpses who are, like, been abandoned here on this planet in space back home. And the film just ends with this beautiful visual of this girl, like, uh, this ghost girl just climbing on a ship and just gazing on the stars, like, on her travel back. And it's just, just a lovely sentiment. It's a lovely little short film, but a, kind of a sweet ending there. And, like, the big draw of the panel, though, even after that, was just, like, producer Yoshihiro Watanabe just guiding these through, like, the production process at Orange for producing their animation of their short films, like how they work with the modeling program, how they employ motion capture the references, walking through every stage of the production process of the short film, from the designing to the boarding, color scripting, animatic, to early modeling, different stages of the modeling where they're just playing around with the, the movement, the action itself, then adding in facial expressions and fine-tuning to correcting errors, how they work on automated scripts to uh, work with like stuff like fabrics and clothing movements in certain environments. Like, yeah, it was just such a fascinating panel. I love behind-the-scenes curtain looks at the production process of films and animation, and this was just a real treat to look at Orange, one of the biggest purveyors of high-quality 3CG animation and to see what their process is like and how they go about producing such excellent quality work. And so that was an excellent panel. I mean, it truly was like pretty much the closest thing we had to a Japanese guest, uh, Japanese anime producer industry panel. And I really appreciated that. I really appreciate we could end our convention experience with such a high note. It's such a really cool, interesting panel like that. Yeah, I mean, it was good. I, I really liked the short and the behind the scenes kind of workflow of Orange was interesting to look at. So it was really insightful. I probably have something more in depth to say, but like we're at three hours of this, but my brain's just like melting. Yeah. So after that, you know, we basically just went home and then we had dinner. Well, we grabbed dinner at Bonchan. We wanted to eat dinner at Bonchan with our friend Carol from Tanari Table, but unfortunately they did not have diamonds. So we just grabbed food, uh, then we came back home. We had a lovely dinner with Carol. We chatted for like three four hours, and uh, that's kind of why we ended up starting recording uh, only at like 11.30. And we somehow started talking for another three hours. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that brings us here. Like, <laughs> And um, yeah, so that was our Otakon experience, basically, like really right up to almost the last minute here. Um, but yeah, well, I guess we'll leave you guys off with just what are our final thoughts on Otakon? Like, how do we feel about the experience? Will we go again? Uh, what do you, how do you feel about Otakon 2021? I like Otakon. It's good. It was an interesting first experience, uh, going to a con, uh, since the pandemic. Um, I'd probably go again. I think the main caveat is when Crunchyroll Expo is and what guests right. are coming to each con. It's... Yeah, we didn't talk about it, but Crunchyroll scheduled their virtual CRX for yeah. right around the same weekend, which is such weird kind of timing to compete against Otakon yeah. like as a live, one of the bigger conventions in the scene. So it's 
it's weird, but I don't want to get into it because we're already way too long. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely go again. It's just a matter of when it is, uh, what other cons are nearby. Because, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to go to, like, two different cons in the same month. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it would come down to, like, who has the better guess. Right. I think for me, the big draw of Otakon had, was getting to meet a lot of people that I interact with online, whose work I follow for a long time and really admire in person, and just get to, you know, form a connection, you know, even if you only chat briefly with them in real person was really valuable and cool to me and getting to also experience, you know, their own panels in person. Mm. Like George's and Megan's and it was that was really awesome. Like I, I really like that. That's the big draw to me. That's what like really impressed me about Otan. I really like endeared me to it is that I was able to I feel like in even though it's considered one of the bigger cons, it almost feels more smaller and intimate and you get that more of that sense of community. Which I also felt in a lot of the panels where people were just vibing each other, really friendly, getting along very well, kind of all on that same wavelength in terms of community experience, like the discotheque panel, like ACO, like even the orange panel, I feel like they were all in the same, in the same vibing, like at the beginning through the panel experience. And yeah, like I really appreciated that a lot. But I also think that the convention center in general, it feels less uh, exhausting or less um, oppressive in, in its scope and scale compared to the LA convention center, you know, of Anime Expo. And on the flip, it doesn't feel as kind of cramped and claustrophobic as a New York convention center, or the Javits Center can at times. So it, it was just this happy medium uh, where. I felt like it was a big enough, it was a big con, but it still felt spacious. It felt like I could get to everything I wanted to without worrying that I wouldn't be able to get in. Uh, it felt like I could watch through it easily without worrying about crowds or long lines or just uh, a lot of things that usually cause stress at bigger cons like this. So I thought it was a very pleasant experience. And we went over some of the, some of the, you know, criticisms we have are like how they handle COVID-related precautions, but I think overall, you know, we also mentioned that uh, the volunteers, the staffers did a really amazing job under these conditions, and they should be commended for their hard work and just for how smoothly things operated, all things considered. So overall, I would give Otakon 21 a very good review and recommendation, and it definitely has interested me in visiting again. Like, I really enjoyed this experience. It's, like, one of the most memorable, most enjoyable kind of things I've had. Yeah. I mean, I live near here, so... <laughs> <laughs> like, whether I decide not to go or to go... I mean, my whole con perspective generally is, like, if I know anybody who's going to be there or if anybody's going to go, I'll go. I mean, and with this being so close and now discovering the train, you know, is very painless... I would probably go again. I mean, I'd likely more go if, like, you guys were coming again, or if, again, somebody were to mention on Twitter, hey, I'm going to be there. But overall, I mean, this this particular Otakon was pretty solid. I mean, I, I do have to give it, you know, a slight caveat the fact that it has been an entire year since I've been able to go to the con. So maybe my um, standards are a little bit lower than they would be if everything were normal. That being said, I did have a good time at the con, and I would even with my searing hatred of DC, consider, <laughs> um, consider going back, if only by train. I mean, I, I hope that you guys would come back and we could all do this again. 
hopefully, you know, we don't collapse into bed each <laughs> night. <laughs> like, we're probably going to do after this. Yeah, yeah we're going to have to. Yeah, yeah. at this point, yeah. But, I mean, not to go on too long, but yes, this was a lot of fun, and I do hope to do it again. Absolutely. So, recommendations from us all around, Otakon 21. We were very impressed by the experience, and we are looking forward to returning in the future. But until the next vacation, where we can convene at Otakon again, I mean, we'll probably see each other uh, at NYC and Berlin, and certainly we'll be talking frequently until then. But yeah, until our next con report, uh, or until the next update we have for you guys of the con soon, uh, I guess we'll let you guys know where you can find us and follow us on Twitter. And we'll start with you, Sakaki. Okay, sure. I mean, most of my stuff is going to be into Vivo or something, but Vivo will take care of the stuff <laughs> that we share. <laughs> okay, that works. All right, uh, uh, you can find me at, at Kirobon. We'll start with that this time. At K I I R O B O N. Um, lately, I mean, you can find most of my Otakon exploits there. I mean, I try to be a little bit better at threading. Usually, all I do is just a cosmic thread and nothing else. But yeah, the panels I went to, I tried to talk about them and. You know, now I talk about other manga I'm reading or things I'm doing, so check that out. But the real fun is at WSS Talkback on Twitter, at WSS Talkback. That's where you can t- find all of my, all of uh, the reporting that we, that we do on Shonen Sunday. Uh, Shogakukan in general, but Shonen Sunday is the main focus. And we're, unlike other magazine Twitters, we actually go through the entire magazine every week. Not just one series, not just fun series, everything. So you should check that out, and then you can check out uh, com for um, interviews, translations interviews, reviews of manga, and other odds and ends. I mean, I'll probably throw up a little something-something, mostly Dempa-focused on there, just to kind of have an Otakon overview, but and link to this you know podcast when it's out. Definitely, so you can check that out. And as I always say, if you're interested in writing about Chicago Con series, whether they're beginning, they're currently running, or vended, or you're a V-Lord and have a whole bunch of Chicago Con series that you bought, <laughs> and you want to talk about them, yeah, please, by all means, reach out, because we would love to have guest writers. Uh, I also write for Tsunami Faithful. And, yeah. Oh, wait, 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 I almost forgot. I mean... <laughs> I do a certain podcast with a certain somebody. <laughs> but um, you can also, I'm also on with our buddy Colton on another DV pod, another day, another adventure. I love how you had to pop a picture of it. I do this for every episode. It's oh, just God. that you're not here to see it. <laughs> anyway, another day, another adventure, which is a Dragon Ball podcast where if it's animated and Goku's in it, we'll probably talk about it eventually. All right, um, and that's Donald Colson and I, and it's a lot of fun. But yes, that is it. And now, V-Lord, you can take away with all of your plugs. So when I'm not dying from sleep deprivation from a podcast, <laughs> you can find You already me. deprive yourself of sleep on your own. You don't need podcasts to do that. You I stay up late for no good reason. I love it. The probably love it. Sakaki, <laughs> help me. No. <laughs> I'll just go cry in the corner then. But anyways, you can find me on Twitter at uh, VLORDGTZ and then I write various things for uh, all-comic.com 
and uh, TanamiFaithful.com, mainly anime and manga, uh, reviews and editorials, all that good stuff. And then I do a bunch of podcasts, uh, the Demon Slayer Podcast on Twitter at DSlayerPod... The Demon Slayer Podcast on Twitter at DSlayerPodcast, I can literally not pronounce anything anymore. Oversoul Shaman King Podcast on Twitter at Shaman King Pod. Saturday Night Shoggy on Twitter at Sat Night Shoggy. And uh, Dumb Weebs Podcast on Twitter at Dumb Weebs Pod. Then I'm also on the Tanami Faithful Podcast uh, quite often at uh, Tanami Podcast. So check out all those. And so on. And as for me, you can find me at LonelyOps on Twitter. It's like Mummy SRA, just like Amber's Relation and Annie Lex, where there's a LonelyOps that you can find me. You also read my reviews and writing on allasnow.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of good things, so we're going on there. You'll we'll also find more about Turo-written uh, Otakon and convention report that I'll be writing and hopefully I'll post it on the time I listen to this, so uh, look forward to that. And yeah, all kind of comes where you can find the other podcast if you related to the show, including one of the movies, the show where we talk about anime movies currently, and Lung Squad, the show where we talk about the wonderful Lucky Rose, and how she's Yurtsei Yatsura. We even have a blast covering the manga, keeping up with the releases of the series, as well as diving into the movies. Now that they're a little strain on Carnival, we're excited to continue on doing that. So, the four Lung Squad episodes, wherever you can find your podcast, Apple Podcast, Facebook, Spotify, or like, you can find it as Lung Squad on there. And all the matters on this feed too. We post them on the Amazon feed as well. And you can also follow Lunchbot on Twitter at LunchbotPod. And if you're interested in the art I do for the podcasts, including, you know, Flounder and Lunchbot Wagon, the animation, art illustrations I make in general, you can find that on Instagram at SidArtWorks. But as for Manga as a podcast, you can find that at Manga underscore Mavis on Twitter, MavisonTumblr.com on Tumblr, and you can find Slee slash Manga Mavis on YouTube, which you find on the channel bar, and you'll find it. And we post uh, content there pretty frequently on the YouTube, so it works and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, you can find us pretty much wherever you can find podcasts, again, like Apple. Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, the likes. They were pretty easy to find, and we really appreciate it. If you like, uh, give us a follow, give us a uh, subscribe, and like us, uh, review us on there. That helps us kind of stand out, help us grow, help us reach new hearts, minds, ears, and eyes. So, we really appreciate all that good stuff. And we also appreciate you sending feedback, you know, sending it our way. Tomorrow as a gmail.com, like, what were your thoughts on Otakon if you went? What are your thoughts on going to conventions in this current climate? Do you feel safe? Do you feel it's similar risk? Let us know. And are there any cons you're interested in going to? You're still thinking of going to? Like Anime NYC and the like? Let us know. Uh, let us know if you'd like to meet up with us at a con sometime. If you want to have some minor community meetups, we'd love to hang out, link up with fellow, uh, fans, fellow manga lovers out there in the community, so definitely hit us up, or definitely let us know what your thoughts. And if you want to help support the show, help us keep producing the work we're doing, you can support us on Patreon. 
patreon.com slash manga merits. We have a variety of tier options available to you where you can pledge support and help chip in a few bucks to help us continue funding the projects. Like, we have a $2 tier where you can get early access to select podcasts, often months ahead of time before the public release, so it's often a really cool thing. And also the $5 tier for our monthly Patreon exclusive bonus pod, a podcast exclusive to patrons, coming out every month. It's a lot of variety, and as well as bonus pod series like the Manga Mavericks Book Club, which is a podcast Colton is going to be part manga that uh, he was on on such a show. Currently, they're finishing up Saint Seiya with Doctor. They've been doing that for the first time. And they're almost at the end of Hades arc, so they're almost at the end of the series, so that's something to look forward to. But currently on the docket, for our next bonus pod coming up in August, there's a really cool bonus pod we did with Maxi, where we went through kind of an overview of various different manga magazines in Japan, reviewing kind of the manga magazine culture, reviewing what the content of those magazines is like, comparing them, contrasting them, examining which ones stand out and why some others don't. It's a really cool conversation and probably the first in a longer series since definitely we did not get to talk about every magazine magazine out there in that podcast. Maybe focusing on uh, some of the more shonen ones. But definitely look forward to that pod. That was a lot of fun to do with Maxi. And our bonus pod next month is also going to be a fun one with Maxi. But we'll be as part of our plan to Koei Horikoshi team month in September. We're going to be doing a bonus pod reviewing the one-shot prototype for MHA Horikoshi Drew. And also, in the process, dig into some of Maxi's talks on Barrage, which, uh, if you know Maxi, you know they have some spicy takes on Barrage. So, look forward to that. We have a lot of cool bonus pods we'll do on that tier, like, like two dozen worth at this point. Like, a lot of good studies. A lot of hours of cool extra content for you guys to listen to. And pushing to us on there really helps the show, really helps us continue producing cool things. But, yeah, like, that about wraps up what we wanted to talk about on this very long and very late recording of Manga Mavericks. I think it's Oricon 2021 on report. And until the next occasion, when you can get here on LabCon coverage, or basically until the next podcast next week, we're signing off. Sayonara! Good night, everybody. I'm dead inside.